Where are you going? I'm going to pick a fight. Podcasting from the Pacific Northwest, the caffeine and Sasquatch capital of the world, and home to the world's biggest Highland Games fans. This is Fork Talk. Will you fight? A podcast about all things Highland Games heavy events, competitive throwing, and the greatest sporting event ever invented on God's green earth, Sheep. And now, here are your hosts, Big Daddy and Hoss. But they'll never take our freedom! Like to make the cabers fly, see them sail straight through the sky, flip them over and land just right. Judge's hands go oh, oh, oh. Well, a Saturday and it's time to put on my kilt. It feels right to know. I grab my weights, grab my rocks, and go. It's time to throw. Our sport, it ain't much to talk about. All but one crossword and we can knock your old teeth out Cause we like to make the cabers fly See them sail straight through the sky Flip them over and land just right Judge's hands go up Again I sound one more round I pick things up and I put them down Oh boy that's how heaven sounds Brother Caber to make the cabers fly see them sail straight through the sky flip them over and land just right judge's hands go up another gana sound one more round i pick things up and i put them down oh boy that's how heaven sounds brother caber You know I like to make the cables fly. Cables fly. See them sail straight through the sky. Flip them over and land just right. Pick things up and I put them down. That's right. Hurry, get to the chopper. Get to the chopper. <laughs> Welcome to Fork, Welcome Fork Talk. Talk. Episode Ocho. The Ocho. The Ocho. Yes. Yes, indeed. We are at the eighth episode of our franchise fork talk it is yes and it's getting big buddy yes it is it is welcome everyone we uh have got a fantastic show we've got our staff a full staff full here, staff here. Daddy. it's ridiculous yeah we've got producer candy sprinkles right say hi there. candy say hi candy use the board we've got <laughs> devil Ange holding one of the mascots devil Ange. we've got intern slim jim for once is not out and about yeah he's Ola, he says, hey, he's eating wings. That kid's bilingual. Yeah. He's, he's chowing he's, on wings. And that kid's eating like 82 wings now. By the way, Slim Jim, will you do some work for me? Go get me a malted beverage. <laughs> Wipe your mouth first. <laughs> um, of course, we give shouts to our security meet patrolling the uh, border of Canada and the United States. Yeah, you know, he got his, uh, he got his foot bitten last week. He did? Yeah, he was swimming the, the Strait of Juan de Fuca. Right, we mentioned that, yes. They and, thought he was uh, an orca well, or yeah, killer dom. I guess somebody tried to harpoon him, <laughs> but it didn't work. But what happened was uh, some kind of a shark bit his foot. Ouch. Yeah. Ouch. Well, I, I, it'll grow back, brother. Oh, yeah, he's okay. <laughs> we, uh, 
we have our uh, chief scientific officer, Ken. Why, yes, I am a nuclear scientist, Beck. Retired. Yes. He, uh, he's uh, given us good info as we uh, go through the um, Fork Talk Nation. Hey, I'm excited about our new staff member that you're just about to talk about. Oh, dude, our, new, our official new uh, <clears throat> staff member, our official Fork Talk cartoonist, Matt Thompson. Matt Thompson. Of Vargas Highlander. Yes. And that it was, of course, his dulcet tones you heard singing the uh, opening song there, which was absolutely brilliant. That's a, you know, that's a, that's a talent that most people don't have. I mean, he can sing. He obviously can play guitar, and he can draw. He's a multi-talented He's, yeah. guy, and he can throw uh, <coughs> throw weight for distance, caber. He's a very good thrower. As a matter of fact, I uh, threw with him last year in the Claw. Cool. Yeah, very nice guy. Well, we are happy to have him a part of the family. I'm digging his cartoons that he's doing online We're, we'll talk about that later i like the way he makes my arms look huge well yes large they're, they're already large <laughs> um and of course our roving reporter the international man of mystery miles, miles wetzel. wetzel hopefully he'll be checking in with us yeah he may be checking in with us later good website www.fork-talk.com <coughs> facebook fork talk with big daddy and haas that's right and we're going to give a shout out to our sponsor our, uh, numero uno sponsor, the Mattress yep. Ranch. Yep. Everybody uh, knows it now, Mattress Ranch. This wonderful episode of Fork Talk is also sponsored by Mattress Ranch, as you always know. When you need a new mattress, you owe it yourself. Check out the Mattress Ranch. No phony sales, no elbow twists and salespeople. Just everyday low prices by a reasonably nice people. Ten convenience throughout Alaska and Washington. And if you mention Fork Talk, you get what? You get 75% off? No. Oh, Max, Max He's going to kill, kill you for that. He's going to kill you for that. You get a funny look. You get a funny damn look. You can, <laughs> we can find a convenient location at mattressranch.com. That's one word, mattressranch.com. If you can't spell, Google it. You don't need a huge discount because the prices are already amazing. Well, if you can't spell, you don't need a damn mattress anyway. You probably just need a <laughs> hole in the wall. But, you know, as we all know, you know, mattresses are uh, something you don't think about, Right. You don't walk around every day and say, oh, I'm going to buy a new shirt. I'm going to buy, oh, I need a new pair of pants. And oh, by the way, my mattress, I need a new one. But you know what? Actually, I think you're onto something here, Big Daddy. You're either on something or you're onto something. I'm onto something. Because I think throwers and people who do athletic activities don't take good enough care of themselves relevant to the fact that you spend a significant portion of your life actually sleeping. Yeah. And some of us more than others. And people let their mattresses go. They let them go too long past their useful life and they don't get good mattresses. And in doing so, they're messing their back up, having to go to the chiropractor and they just don't get as restful sleep. Um, Nope. And I think it could affect your throwing. So that is interesting. Absolutely. I mean, you got a bad, you know, your, your back hurts, your shoulder hurts, you know, because your mattress sucks. Yeah. That's one that could you be one of your a proper mattress. So, you know, as you know, I work in medicine. A lot of times when somebody has chronic back problems or chronic shoulder problems, one of the first things I will ask them is, hey, how long have you had your mattress? And it's surprising how long people have had these things. 15, 18 years. They don't even years, think about it, yeah. you know. It's yeah. just what they have. Yeah. So. And they're typically they're made for like 10 or something. Or yeah, or, like, or like six months in my case because, you know, like, you know, I destroy them. You destroy them. Yes, you go through them yeah. well. I'm the jackhammer of mattresses. I mean, I just smash them all did, the time. Did you hear that background noise? This is fantastic. It's a warm, sunny day in the Lahar Valley of Ording at Fork Talk Studios. <laughs> And the, the Lahar Valley. Yeah, the doors are open and the um, the cars are just going by. There was a, a 
car show downtown today. So oh, yeah. Lots of roadsters and hot rods out. Yeah, I ran over a couple of them with my big truck. Cause, you know, <laughs> yeah, you did. Those guys were pissed off. But those little roadsters, you can't see them. You know? True, true. They use those little uh, 1932 bodies, and they got the little tiny tires on them. And then, you know, next thing you know, they zip it out in front of you. And oops. Yep. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> Shit happens. Whoopee. Hey, hey, we got a good show, Big Daddy. Yeah, we do. We've we got better because his intro sucks. <laughs> really? I'm just kidding. I just, you know me. Wow. Current events. <laughs> we got uh, cabers as a topic. Cabers. Cabers. We got sheep widows. Sheep widows. That's a good one. Yeah, we're going to talk about sheep widows. I'm actually a little curious about this topic because you and I haven't really talked about it much. So, well, it'll be good then. It should be good. <laughs> it'll be it'll be podcast gold. Then. Oh yeah, because I'll <laughs> I'll not know what the hell you're talking about. We are going to formally review Bobby Dodd's uh, protest to the <coughs> Department of Factual Incorrectness. <laughs> Which should be fun. And uh, make sure that we've got that all laid out. We will have a historical figure. Speaking of laid out, I'm going to lay him out next time I see him. <laughs> and then, you know what, my my lawyer, our lawyer, Irving Buskowitz Irving. of Buskowitz, Martinez, Rodriguez, Samuelson, and Schmidt yes. are going to go after him. Yeah. What happened to you? He, he got laid off. Dominguez got laid off? Yeah, Dominguez Already? actually. Yeah, he got deported. Oh, did he? Yeah. Well, you know, you can't have amnesty for all. Well, he was an undocumented um, immigrant or alien, as we like to call him. Ah, Illegal, yes. you know, it depends who you're talking to. There's a few throwers, I think, are aliens, but that's another subject. Yeah, but you know, I don't, there are not a lot of Mexican throwers, you know what I'm saying? You see well, a lot of Mexican throwers? That's true. That's unfortunate. You know, I mean, I see a lot of them at the Island Games. Yeah. You know, setting stuff up, but then you don't see them anymore. Oh, dude, What? God, um, probably racist. That's not racist. That's prejudice. Racist if I don't hire him. Come on. Come when are you going to get that straight, Austin? Come awesome? on. Hey, I got a lot of come Mexican on. friends. Let me tell you something about that. I got a lot of Mexican friends, <laughs> oh. a lot of buddies, you know. Do you like inflicting pain on them? No, whenever I need something done, that's who I call. Oh, for God's sake. Will you stop? Hey, how many times you drive down by <laughs> Home Depot? Stop. 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 That is ridiculous. Oh, hey, look at me. The insensitive man. Interview. The bad guy. We're going to have an interview. Uh, interview with... You want to announce who it's going to be with? Our interview? Yeah. Sure. Is he Mexican? Because I better not announce him then. No, he's not. All right. This will get you out of trouble. Our interview is with the one and only... Let me see. How do you introduce this guy? He's the current reigning... Masters world champion in the age bracket of 40 to 44, which is one of the toughest age brackets in the Masters. Yes. Okay. Uh, former and still professional Highland Games thrower. Um, let me see now. He's won the national championships a few times. This is quite a buildup. We, we are going to have this later. Yeah. Well, I'm just telling you. Please keep going. The guy deserves all the accolades you can give him. Yes. All right. Anyway, his name is Kerry Overfeld. Kerry Overfeld. Out of Kentucky. One of the more uh, dynamic and interesting characters in the games. He is. He's one of the guys that gives the games a little flavor. Yes, you know? absolutely. Looking forward to that. Me too. And I actually like him. That's well, what I'm I actually like the guy. <laughs> that's saying something. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. We've got uh, shouts out. Oh, you, I need to keep going with this because, you know, the thing is, is that's as me. It does. So, <laughs> yes. so, however, 
What is going on with this? First of all, there's an awful lot of clatter going on. In there's the a lot of crap going on in the studio, and I'm a little. The studio needs to be a little quieter. People you got your, your dishes kid over away, there snapping slim jims, slapping dishes in the sink, his fingers, and you got your wife wandering around here. Jeez, oh, okay. You know, lingerie. Yes, it's it's not good. Anyway, so yeah, like uh, we always talk about, we got to do some shout outs. Shout outs, yeah. Uh, we stand on the shoulders of giants. And uh, we always like to shout out to people who mean something to us. And there's a lot of people in Highland Games that affect uh, you and me and all of our friends. And and so let's go ahead and shout them out. True, yeah. Well, and, and because it's this throwing season, we've been shouting out uh, games yeah. and, and doing a little bit about that. So we've got the second half of June here, as we've been saying before. This also helps for... You all right? I'm fine. You got a little gas or something? You know no, I mean? I'm good. Well, it's the beer. I'm Take trying, sip I'm trying not to, you know, belch in the, well, in the microphone. I'll let that stop you. Go ahead. Have, have a nice swig. Mm. There you go. <sighs> yeah. Now let's hear those dulcet tones. The um, We like to give shouts to the upcoming games. I think this does two things. One, it gives people who are just listening for the first time a feel for how many games there are across the country because it right. is insane and two it just gives shouts to the uh, throwers who are like thinking I, here's my personal goal and we've talked about this and i would i would challenge anybody once a year you should put at least one new game on your list mm-hmm. and try and get there whether you got to drive or fly and save a little money to do it once a year go somewhere different and see something different yeah and the thing is is you'd be surprised you know, with Facebook and uh, all that stuff, how many people you actually know when you get there, you know? Absolutely. Remember, we went to Worlds in 2012, right? Yeah. And we went all the way to South Carolina. And uh, I, I felt like, um, you know, half the guys there I already knew, and I hadn't really met them, but I knew them from Facebook and stuff. Yeah. And it was really cool, you know? And then you get to throw with them, and you get to throw with different people. But you also see a little different flavor in judging, you know, like the caber, you know? Sure. On the East Coast, you know, or at least where these guys were throwing, uh, you can basically pick the caber and turn it. You don't have to take three steps. You don't have to make a line like you do out here. Right, just bramer it. You know, so there's a lot of little different in- intricacies that other games have, and it's kind of interesting when you when you actually go out and do it. Yeah, agreed. So coming up, uh, so this weekend, we've got the WNC Celtic Festival, Black Mountain, North Carolina. Mike Link. We've got the... Central Iowa Celtic Festival, Urbandale in Des Moines. Mark, Mark McVeigh. Yep. We've got uh, Vargas Highlanders, a.k.a. Matt Thompson's games in Joplin, uh, Highland Games in Joplin, Missouri. At least that's what it says here. Yeah. Joey Greishaber. Greishaber. Oh, Vargas is there. He's competing. I think uh, Candy yeah, Smokos I'm, I'm figured sure. that out. I don't think I, I think Matt Thompson, I'm pretty sure, is from Oklahoma. Okay. In fact, I'm almost sure. Yeah. Yeah. But but I think he's throwing in that game. So. Yeah, he might be. Uh, we've got Prosser this weekend. We just saw the posts from most of the guys over there having huge throws over there. Yeah, yeah. They Something's are. in the water over there. I'm not sure what's going on. I mean, everybody was having huge PRs today. Yeah, I think it's Deanna Ball. You think so? I think it's Deanna Ball in the water. I don't mm. know what's going on over there. I don't know. Everyone's it's getting these sounded crazy good. throws. I think they're just R- saying it just Rachel, to piss us off. Rachel Wiley, <laughs> probably, just to hey, give us grief. It's Rochelle. That's right, Rochelle. Sorry, yeah, I keep she doesn't like when you call her Rachel. Rochelle Wiley. But like I said about her last time, I'm going to give a shout-out to her. She does put on a really nice games. Uh, she takes good care of uh, the athletes and uh, great awards. Good. Really nice awards. Santa Cruz Scottish Renaissance Festival in Watsonville, California. 
University of California, Santa Cruz. And the banana slugs. The banana slugs. And then Windsor McKay, Scottish Highland Games in Spring Lake, Michigan, Jerry Bauer Sox. Yep. And then next weekend, the BC Provincial Championships in Coquitlam. Karen Dalmore, we've actually thrown at that game. Beautiful uh, field grounds oh, in yeah, Coquitlam. Oh, yeah, lovely venue. Coquitlam, for people who don't know, it is basically the eastern suburbs of Vancouver, British Columbia. And it's a beautiful area. And this sports complex is massive. Yeah. And they have this practically lawn, golf green type grass area with a big, huge Olympic hammer cage. Mm-hmm. And just in front of the hammer cage, they set up the trigs for hammer. And it's just a really pretty place to throw if the weather's nice. Yeah, the grounds were very nice. We were there. It rained like uh, crazy yeah, for some crazy. reason. But um, other than that, it was a beautiful place to throw. So the weekend of the 22nd, then you've also got the Brant Summer Festival in Brant, New York. Bob Vale. Oh, Bob Vale. Good guy. We met him in Masters Worlds. Remember him? Oh, yeah, yeah. Big, tall guy. Yeah. All tattooed up. Yep. Just an awesome, sweet guy. Cool. The Celtic Fling, PA Renfest in Mayhem, Pennsylvania. And there's Alexandra Duncan, Duncan Murray. And we got to talk to her. She must she be like is, the queen of the Highland Games I in the East Coast. She must be because she is on it. Um, the Red Deer Highland Games, Red Deer, Alberta, Canada. Sean Langford. Yeah, good buddy. Oh, Sean. Sean. Yeah, but I threw with him last year. Yeah. Um, smart ass, uh, <laughs> redheaded, uh, kind of a jerk. They call that a ginger. <laughs> but uh, <coughs> yeah, excuse me. Goodness, sakes, you okay? Hairball. <laughs> he's an amazing thrower. He's you know he's in his forties. He's a masters guy, but he still throws A's. Yeah. You know, and still I mean he's still launching. You know, lightweight for distance, 70 feet, and heavy, you know, and uh, light hammer, wow. 120. Wow. You know, he's a crazy thrower. Good, good guy. Cool. San Diego Scottish Highland Games, <clears throat> Vista, California. <coughs> uh, the Tacoma Highland Games. Yeah, one of our favorites. Yeah, that's next weekend, and we're going there. That's just up the road from where uh, Fork Talk Studios is, actually. Yeah, as a matter of fact, you could uh, throw a stone and not even come close to it. Pretty much, yep. Uh, and that's uh, Kaylin the Queen Mao who's got that one. Yeah, and the thing about the Tacoma Highland Games that people should really know about is that they got smart. They got real smart. They did. Last year. I know where you're going. Oh, you better know where I'm going. Mm-hmm. That's the name of the show, brother. <laughs> Kaylin had an epiphany. She did. And she said, hey, you know what? We need chief. It's true. And the Lord... Part of the clouds. That's right. And some sheaf standards showed up. And then it rained to and then be it rained like a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> that was the devil trying to keep us from sheafing. Yep. And the two time devil. And what I remember most about that was so it's I mean, Fork Talk Nation, it was it it, it was not normal Washington rain, which is just kind of a, a drizzle kind of that you can work with. Yeah. It just Poured torrential downpour. It was just big fat rain. Monsoon candy sprinkles put on there, which is true. It <laughs> yeah, was. It was. Yeah. The pictures were really cool, but it was just and it's in this sandy kind of horse corral. And the thing I remember most, Big Daddy, was hmm. Big Dan Williams had the twenty pound bag, and he it got wet. Yeah. A few throws, and these bags were soaked. He was just throwing the throw, and he was just throw. Well, he was throwing because in the competition he couldn't get the twenty pound bag more than twenty feet. Mm-hmm. I think it was, or right. maybe he got to twenty two. I, I really think it only went the the bar only went to eighteen, and everyone higher than that. Yeah, and he got, and he was just frustrated because he couldn't believe it could add that much water, and he couldn't get it up, and and he just sat there. Yeah. 
for like it was some kind of practice session and kept pulling and pulling and pulling as hard. I mean, he is such a strong and big man, and he was pulling that thing as hard as he could, and he could not get it up 18 feet. Nope. And it was just depressing. It must have weighed, you know, 30, 40 pounds or something. Well, like hey, that. we weighed the 16 pound sheaf, which was my sheaf, right? Oh, that's we right. We did, yeah. 16 pounds. It weighed in at 28 pounds. 28 pounds. <laughs> no, no kidding. It was ridiculous. But, you know, the the problem too with the wet sheaf is not just the weight, it sticks on the fork mm-hmm. because basically the material hangs up, yeah, and the weight of the bag it won't allow it to come off the fork, and that's the trouble I was having when too. your timing's yeah. off and all that. So, so yeah, it, it can was, be a weird day. There's the, the wet sheaf is not any fun. So the forecast is for good weather, touch wood this year, nice and sunny. I'm touching my wood. Yes. Oh, caber up. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> that was fairly solid, Big Daddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The oh, sound yeah. of that. V for Viagra, brother. Hey, we got TCAA Backyard Games in Round Rock, Texas. Mike Beach. Oh, we got, good guy. Yeah. We got the Ohio Scottish Games in Wellington, Ohio. Run by you know who? Alexandra Duncan, Duncan Murray. Murray. We're going to have her as a guest. We just talk to, to find out what yep. the hell her deal is. UHA Salt Lake City Summer Throwdown. In South Jordan, Utah. That's a badass name. Lindsay Henderson. And then we got the Ellsley. I'm sorry, the Ellerslie Highland Games. Use the whiteboard, candy sprinkles. I know. Ellerslie Highland Games in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Sean Sean Langford. Busy boy then, that weekend. The big ginger. He's down for both of those in the same weekend. That's interesting. Um, And then the following weekend... Really excited about this, and we'll talk about it at the next. That's uh, on a two. Sunday. Oh, is it? oh, there it is. Yes, yeah, wow, red, he's got red he's got a Saturday. On Saturday. He's got a Saturday game and then a Sunday game. That's, That's a hard working fool. That is. Let me tell you something. Um, and then the next weekend, the 29th, weekend of the 29th. I'm excited about this. I'll tell you why. Well, it goes into what we were saying about going somewhere different. Well, don't you tell us why? We're Alaska Scottish Highland Games, home of Eagle River, Alaska. Eagle River, Alaska. Chris Anderson. Do you yep. know him? No, not personally. No, no. You like him? As far as so far, yes. Why? Because he hasn't kicked you out of the game. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't it hasn't done anything to upset me. Well, tell everyone why we're excited about it. Well, we're excited because we're going. That's right. Woohoo! Fork Talk Nation. Guess who's going to Alaska? Ooh, the big daddy and Haas. Yes, that's right. I'm going incognito. However. Are you? Well, because of some of the comments I made about, you know. The, well, that's uh, true. That's true. Um, we also have your handler and our producer going with us. Oh, they're coming? Yes, they are. Well, I was excited that I found that out. <laughs> <laughs> I just got flipped off. Yes, you did. I'll pay for that one later. Yeah, that's going to be fun. I've I've never been. I'm excited to throw there. Um, Brett McDonald is my Facebook buddy, but I've never met him in person, so I'm excited. Oh, no, you to, haven't? No, so I'm oh, excited right. to meet him in person. He was in Portland last year, yeah, and, we and he gone. was wondering where you were. And, of course, you know, uh, we were gone. Brett, the world traveler, uh, Lathrop and his entourage, Candy Sprinkles, and his wonderful, lovely son, Cole, were in England we were. at the Olympics. We were. That's right. We were in England. So they missed Enumclaw and they missed Portland, which are two big games back-to-back right up here in the Pacific Northwest. And... Brett McDonald was like, hey, where's where's Brett? And I uh, had to tell him you went there. But, and, and our name is spelled the same, which is unusual because it's not two T's, it's one. That is weird. So Why is that? Because we're awesome. Couldn't afford a second T? Because we're awesome. Parents because we're cheap. so awesome, we don't need a second one. Oh, is that what it is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Battle for Oklahoma, the OKC versus Tulsa team game. Jonathan Irvin. You know, that would be a cool one to yeah. go see. Well, you know the thing about Jonathan Irvin, he's the chief guru. Yes. 
The yes, guy he makes is. Great chief works. Well, that's in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and Jonathan Irvin shouts on that one, brother, because you know we love border battles, team battles. Yes, we, we just do. had our USA versus Canada one at the uh, Bellingham Games. Indeed. So that's cool. That that one looks good. The Gaylord Highland <laughs> Games in Gaylord, Michigan. Uh, no thanks. You can keep the T-shirt. <laughs> I won't be wearing that Jason one. Jason Cherry. That's a good. That's a good solid name, Gaylord. Actually, what? It is. That's a good solid there's name. Actually Hi, a, I'm Gaylord. There's actually a really cool um, hotel uh, chain called the Gaylord Palms that I stay Gaylord at. Gaylord right. Palms. <laughs> yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah, I stay there regularly. So you went to the Gay Palm? Is that what you... What you I went to the Gaylord Palms. Wow. I've stayed there multiple years. Is it a manly place? Um, yes. I'm thinking not so much. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's, you, I don't. Well, there's. You know, so much I don't know about. It's you. very colorful. There's all these rainbow oh, I'm sure it's flags colorful. everywhere, <laughs> and everybody's very nice. There's a lot of mm. leather being yeah. worn. Wow, yeah, right. That's where they have the annual bear convention, huh? Well, I, they did mention bears often mm. when I was around, but mm, I don't yeah. understand why. It wasn't the Chicago Bears, buddy. Oh, really? I thought yeah. they were talking about just mm. football. No. Oh, okay. I told them those aren't pillows. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, the shirt you're wearing, yeah. it's really not in your color wheel. This shirt is in my color wheel. I think mm. it looks good. I know you do, but it doesn't. It's coral. Yeah. Next. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, finally, the uh, Ithaca Scottish Festival. Buffalo Heavies. Ithaca, New York. That's right. Bob hey, Vale. Bob Vale again. My Very buddy. cool. So that's it for shouts on all the games. Yep. We have a lot of friends in the Buffalo Heavy, as a matter of fact. It's good stuff. Hey, uh, we also like to do a little bit of uh, updates on the web and the Facebook. So new likes on Facebook, uh, a bane of Big Daddy's existence for Talk Nation. But we are up to 238. Whoop-de-doo. whoop That's five more than last time. Wow. Well, it's good that we've got those. I'm happy for them. I'm not saying I don't like the people who like us. Thank you. 238 people. But the other 1,000 who actually look at our webpage, you can suck it. Okay? <laughs> you want Hit them on the there. goddamn like button. How hard can it be? If you guys are a friend of Fork Talk, if you listen to Fork Talk, if you, if you actually have liked our page, share our damn page with your friends and say, hey, hit like. Yes. How many times did it happen to you? You know, I get all these stupid requests. Oh, you want to play this game? Oh, you want to play Farmville? <laughs> you want to? <laughs> no, I don't want to. But I'd like to like a fucking fork talk. How about that? Oh, he's starting to. Oh, have I'm, I'm on fire over here. All right. Well, for those that did like us recently, and that's people like <laughs> Chad Clark, Jeff Crouch, thank you, Chad, Eric thank you, Jeff. White, Angie Coburn, Adrian Esteban Munoz, Munoz, sorry, <laughs> Munoz. My, my nose, my nose hurts. Adrian Esteban Munoz. Let me try this. Hold on a second. This poor girl. She, Munoz. She's going to unlike us. It's Munoz. Adrian Esteban Munoz. Yes. Uh, the Rampant Lion Highland Games graphics people. Nice. Good people. Hey, they make cutouts for uh, functional. Stores. This is an interesting one. Functional strength training and equipment. Yeah, they liked us because they're friends of mine. Are they? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. They don't like you much. There's though. not many. Oh, uh, well. I don't know why. I, it's a funny thing. I don't know why. Robert Barr, Vargas Highlander, Woo-hoo. Kyle Fuller, a man, Christopher Loop, the Loopmeister, Jennifer Ambers, Amber, Amber Stingy, Jacob Nickel, Jacob Nickel. Oh, here's one. 
a member of the dead, our throwing team for Kelso. Oh, yeah, Been yeah. on our throwing team for, I don't know, what, four years now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Finally likes us, Kevin Halsey. Kevin Halsey. Well, you know, in his defense, he just learned how to turn on his computer. <laughs> he knows how to taste scotch. I'll give him that well, much. Hey, when it comes to scotch, this guy is numero uno in the scotch taste. This is true. This is true. Uh, and Kathy Crossman. And last but not least, Kathy Crossman. Thank you very much, ma'am. All right, and and then the other thing, and we mentioned this earlier, but I just got to do another shout for Facebook, um, the Vargas Highlander. If you have not checked this out uh, on Facebook, Fork Talk Nation, hit Vargas Highlander and like it, like his page, and or or ask to be friends. I think because it's just a personal page, and I'm telling you, the the cartoons are amazing. He's <laughs> they're all about Highland Highland stuff, yep. and. Um, there's there's a sheaf one, Big Daddy. Did you see the sheaf one where he's talk where some kind of pudgy character comes up and asks him how he should get better at sheaf or what kind of fork he should use? Right. And he looks at Vargas, looks at him, and then just gives him a normal fork, a three time <laughs> eating fork. Like I think this is what you're doing best right now. Yeah. So Go with that one. I saw the one too where he flipped the camera on the guy. Yeah. Right. That called it a skirt or yeah, something. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So shouts to him. And um, that's, yeah, that's, that's uh, it takes a lot of talent. Yeah, really good stuff. And it's been real. The thing is, is he's really kind of graced our, our you know, our page and our our face our fork talk thing. He did a fork, you know, talk. by just doing a nice little strip about you and me. He did. It's funny because um, I didn't see it until last night. And Stephanie, your your wife, your lovely wife, uh, Candy Sprinkles, had sent me a message, and we were kind of chatting about today. And then she said, "Hey, did you see the the comic strip on Brett's?" timeline i said no i didn't think anything of it and then i just before i went to bed i i turned it on and looked at it and i was amazed because it seemed you know how many times have you and i been in that position where you're getting ready to throw the sheaf and i'm standing there cheering you on it's true you know i mean it's like he was right there like he'd been there at the games watching us that's true funny, yeah yeah even the language was very similar to yeah. things you would say yeah except for Pull your head out of your ass and things like that. But that was, you know, those are ad-libbed. I'm a motivational guy. You know, I'm like the Joe Paterno of Ireland Games. You're a motivational speaker. That's right. Do you live in a van down by the river? You're supposed to be writing papers. All you're doing is rolling doobies. Oh, I love Chris Farley. Uh, but we digress. What you've learned hasn't amounted to jack squat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you want to be a writer? Hey, hey, Dad, who is that over there? Hey, it looks like Bill Shakespeare. Hey, Bill. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. Oh, big, I'm sorry, Big Daddy. That's this. That's the opening segment. Yeah, we're <laughs> first topic. We're getting the the cut signal from Candy. First topic. Here on ESPN 8, The Ocho, bringing you the finest in seldom seen sports from around the globe since 1999. If it's almost a sport, we've got it here. <laughs> anyway. Hey, Big Daddy. Hey, what's up, boss? Pop culture. Pop culture. Yep. What are we talking about today? Current events? Current events and yeah. pop culture, yes. First one is out of BBC Scotland. You know, I love combing the archives for that. There was a couple good stories, but this one I thought was uh, most appropriate to the Fork Talk Nation. Uh, the Glen Keith Distillery is being reopened by the Chivas Brothers. Hmm. The Chivas guys, huh? Yep. Uh, in Speyside. Yeah, Speyside. 
Speaside Distillery, which closed 14 years ago, has been reopened. The Shivas brothers owned it. They owned Glen Keith Distillery, and it was closed in 1999. What's the uh, heritage on Shivas? It don't sound very Scottish to me. Oh, that's a good question. Sounds Mexican. Hey, Kenny Sprinkles, can you look that up while we're going through this? Yeah, look up Shivas, because I'm pretty sure it ain't Scottish. Thank you. Um, Shivas is said to have helped the company continue to meet. Um, so, Don't Shiv- they have their own line of whiskeys? The Shivas. Yeah, I, th- I think as I think as an owner group, they own probably a variety of different brands. Yeah, yeah, but they've opened it because they need to meet the increasing worldwide demand for whiskeys. Boy, I mean, their chairman said, like as Willie Nelson used to sing, "Whiskey River, take my hand." That's right. Yeah, it's whiskey. Whiskey. The H is silent. All right, whiskey. This program of if you're uh, drunk, it's. <laughs> the program of investment that they're doing will culminate in the building of a brand new distillery at Karen on the River Spey uh, to open in 2014. 2014. Yep. Uh, the official reopening was carried out by the Cabinet Secretary for Rural Affairs, Richard Lockhead. Shh, hold on a second. Just in. Yeah. Candy Shh. says it's Scottish. The Shivas brothers are Scottish. Shivas. Well, that's good. It doesn't sound Scottish to me. It sounds like Scottish to you. It doesn't, but I'm glad to hear that it is, right? Oh, 1801. 1801 what? See, if, if Halsey were here, he would he would set us straight and say, you guys don't know Jack. Well, Kevin Halsey, he's not here, so we're good. <laughs> um, so the Shivas brothers have said that it's committed to investing. Wow, they're going to invest uh, 40 million pounds each year in capital expenditure on the operations. Man. So Those guys are good. big into it, eh? And next year, it plans to open a brand new distillery at Karen on the River Spec. So, hmm. the whiskey business is good. There's a worldwide shortage, and they got to make more, which means the Scots are getting some new jobs, and that's good stuff. Hmm. So, Kenny Sprinkles, you're saying that it was they, the Shivas Brothers started in Aberdeen in 1801, and Queen Victoria set them up as like a royal whiskey making thing? Or is she saying that Queen Mary had sex with them? Easy. We're the first royal whiskey makers appointed by Queen Victoria. Oh, the first, first official royal royal whiskey makers. Hey, acknowledged by Queen maybe Victoria. that's why on the Shivas bottle they got a crown. Hey now, hello, boy. We are smart cookies. Hey, it didn't take as long to figure this one out. Hey, let me ask you a question. Sure. You like whiskey? I do like whiskey. What's your favorite? Uh, so I'll probably go, I'll probably get a lot of grief for this. You like blend, don't you? Like a blend. No, no. You'll get kicked right in the balls. I know, but I, my favorite whiskey is actually Irish. Okay. There's nothing wrong with that. What's your favorite? Bushmills? No, 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 no. It's made by Jameson. It's called Middleton. Middleton, very rare. Mm. It's one of the Jameson, very, you know, limited edition type deals. Right. But it's Irish. So it's not quite as peaty, and uh, I love it. I like single malt scotch. Single malts are good, of yes. course. Yeah. I like Glenfiddich. Yep. Anything older than 16 years. Well, sure. 12, I'll Mellows. drink in a pinch, but, yeah, you know, 18, probably my favorite. Okay. 21 I've had. Yep. Eh, it's okay, but I like the 18 the best. Very nice. Yeah. Very nice. And nothing goes better with scotch. Than a good old stogie. 
That's true. And I know I got a lot of friends out there in the Fork Talk world who know what I'm talking about. A little scotchy, mm-hmm. a little stogie after a game. That's heaven, brother. I like to actually dip the end in the whiskey just a tad and put her back in. Mm, yeah. Actually, it's quite nice. That sounds nice. I'll try that next time. I actually like to inject heroin into my cigar. <laughs> you do not. I do, too. Really? Yeah. Wow. You know, Makes the ride home a hell of a lot more fun. That's not right. I know. That's not I'm right. not right. Hey, for I want to give a shout-out to um, one of my local scouts, Big Daddy. Why? Well, because I, I, he, he, he did something this week that I thought was cool. His name's Scott Guffey, and he's got Scottish uh, heritage. And I've actually seen him at the games occasionally, and he's got a kilt. And he sees Scoutmaster and I. So for, for those who don't know, um, I'm a Scoutmaster because uh, intern Slim Jim is also a scout working on his eagle. Working on his eagle. And we, um, Scoutmaster and I both have scout kilts, which is very cool. And not a lot of people have, but the, there is actually Scottish Boy Scouts, and they wear kilts with their formal dress. Are you the assistant Scoutmaster? I am. I'm assistant, yes. Hmm. But we both have kilts, and... Um, Scott shows up in his kilt at meeting the other week. No. And I just want to give him props for that because that's cool. Because some of the guys were giving him grief. And, I think you know, he looked good. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know what I mean? A man in a kilt is a man and a half. Yes. I remember that. <laughs> Let me tell you. Go. Now, wait a minute. Hold why, on a second. Why are you asking me about my assistant status? What's the problem there? I don't have a problem with it. I'm just saying. Scoutmaster yes. is like the guy in charge of the whole platoon. This is true. Right. What do you call them? Dens? No, that's the Cub Cub Scouts. Well, I only made it to Cub Scout. What's after that? Troop. Weeblos. Weeblos are still <laughs> Cub Scouts. Weeblos are Cub Scouts. Yes. So you got we, you got Cub, you got Weeblo, and then what do you got that for that? Boy Scout? Boy Scout. Okay. See, I got kicked out as Cub. You can see? I got one badge. It was called a Bobcat. Yes. That's the only badge I ever got. And then my den mother, for some reason, kicked me out. I don't know why. I think she had something against me. I can't imagine what. I'm thinking she was attracted to me, personally. Because I was quite well-developed at, at, at that age. At six? Seven. <laughs> I was a little older when I got into it. But then again, it might have been the new Boy Scout knife I'd gotten. Could have been when you were... Decided to take out her upholstery. Could have been because you started Scouts at 23. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Girl Scouts, Maybe. Not not Boy Scouts. Come on now. Let me say so. So the den the den mother is who I had, right? Yeah. She was the, she was the equivalent of your your den master. <laughs> uh, the the scout master. Scout, scout master. The, the leader of the group. Yes. <laughs> right. Excuse yeah. me. So so on the hierarchy hierarchy of scouts, then the scout master is like the big the grand poobah. He is okay. the leader. Yes. And so that makes you the assistant grand poobah. That's correct. Now. Are you the assistant to the Grand Poobah? Like he says, hey, 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 um, uh, we need some more uh, finger sandwiches and some watercress sandwiches for our meeting and and maybe some tea. Would you go get that, Brett? Or does he say, hey, Brett, why don't you go over there and show those boys how to tie a knot? Mostly the last... I don't even I'm know. So how to, I don't even know how to answer this. I think it's because you do a little bit of both. The answer is the latter. The I don't latter. do really any of the first, but that's okay. because my scout master that I am a partner in crime with wouldn't ask me to do something of that nature okay. necessarily. Right. So you have a good rapport with your scout master. I do. Yes. 
Yes. And uh, and so on the whole Scoutmaster dealie. So who is above him? Well, he has, I guess he answers to some unit commander people that are in the... Unit commanders. They got unit commanders in the Boy Scouts. Unit commissioners, yeah. Holy yep. moly. They do. What, do they wear uniforms and such? Uh, yeah, they would wear a uniform. Like yeah. a general? No, perhaps? no, no. Just a normal Boy Scout uniform. Okay. Um, and then he would also answer to... You mean the shorts? With the shorts and the little neckerchief? Yeah, yeah. Well, those guys must look like badasses. Yeah. Could you imagine? You're walking down the street and you got a bunch of guys, uh, middle-aged guys, with uh, shorts and their neckerchiefs on, and they, and they want to kick your ass. Can you see that? Chuck Norris would have a field day in that outfit. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Chuck Norris in a scout uniform could be the scariest thing in the world. Oh, yeah. Well, Chuck Norris says, <laughs> I don't need you Boy Scouts in my life. I am the Boy Scout of all Boy Scouts. Yeah, so. Scoutmaster actually would answer <clears throat> to the... You call uh, him Scoutmaster like that's his official title. It is. It his is. official You don't title. call him by name? Well, sure. Are you allowed to call sure, him? Sure, when name? I'm talking to him, yes. So when you're when you're engaged in conversation, you say, hey, Scoutmaster, I was wondering, what do you think about this? Yeah, I'll ask him that. And in, in that's it's a verbiage you use? Yeah. Huh. When we're with a group and we're with the boys, for example, I would. So, so then when you guys are, say, in the presence of these uh, commandants, as you call them, or commanders, do you have to salute them? No. Hmm. No, it's not that kind of outfit. Huh. And he, what the, kind of outfit is it? The scoutmaster would probably, the scoutmaster actually reports to the chartering organization and the committee itself. So uh, there's an actual troop committee, right. which is made up of a chair and then a secretary and treasurer and that kind of thing. And they're trying to just make sure that the troop is healthy and all that. And hmm. then the chartering organization, all Boy Scout troops and dens are supported by a chartering organization. And that's typically like a group like we have, which is the Lions, or it could be a church, or it could be the Rotary, or whatever. Okay. Well, I don't know much about the Boy Scouts, obviously. That's why I'm asking. Hmm. I think it's quite interesting. There you go. So I thought maybe one of our Fork Talk listeners might find it kind of And now the Fork Talk Nation knows more. Absolutely. So go. what do you guys think about this whole thing in the news about uh, gay people and the Scouts? Ah, Excellent. I mean, it's, it's pretty big. I know. know. Excellent. Good question. Wow. I um, <laughs> I just I, saw something that's I think it's me. I think it's a long time coming. I think that it is something that they should have addressed a long time ago. Now, is it just is it um, uh, gay scouts or gay leaders? Yeah. The only thing I'm disappointed in personally, and I'll I'll put this out there, even though I'll I you know whatever. Um, by the way, this is all just personal opinion, ladies and gentlemen. Don't hold us to any of this. Yeah. Um, I don't – they only went halfway, right? They went – they said, okay, if you're a kid and you're later on in your scout where you start becoming sexually aware in your high school era, late high school, and, you just, and you're gay and you know this about yourself and you want to come out, then the scouts are not going to kick you out of scouting. And they had done that in the past. They would have, although mm-hmm. the frequency of that, something like that happening, I, I, again, I've never heard of it happening. Well, the kid probably wouldn't come out because he didn't want to get that scout. Exactly. Yeah. Probably. Probably. Um, the part that I'm disappointed in is they didn't go far enough because they still are leaving it that um, leaders, adult leaders of the scouting environment can't be openly gay mm-hmm. or they would potentially be asked to to leave as well and again i it certain um parts of that just seems goofy to me right I, mm-hmm. and 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 i've got personal experience with uh like a 
like a den, like a, a Cub Scouts, right? And let's say the Cub Scouts, let's say the mom is, is gay and she's got a son and he really wants to be in Scouts and Scouts promotes all kinds of physical fitness and taking control of your life and being responsible and being prepared and all those things. And just because she's gay, the kid can't be a part of She can't be a part of the group, meaning she can't be a secretary, God forbid, or, mm. or you know, one of the committee people or be a, a den leader or whatever. It's just goofy, right? Yeah. Just, it's just a bit of a weird double standard. So right. I think it's the first step. And then the next thing they'll do is just say, come on, it, it, it doesn't matter. Right. 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 They're, the scouts are overly sensitive to any um, abuse situations. Right. They train the heck out of everybody. You have to go through every two years. You have to go through this youth, youth protection thing if you're involved. Mm-hmm. All this training. Make sure that you and they they promote these strategies. So in scouts, we have two deep leadership. They call it, mm-hmm. and that means that you never have less than two adults in an environment with the kids, right? right? So it's protected and you never have one-on-one, you know, situations and all that. So you're very careful to make sure that none of that could ever happen. Well, not only does it protect the, the leaders from being, you know, say accused, you know, falsely accused, because that could happen as well, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But it's uh, right. I mean, it protects everybody because the kids, you know what I'm saying? You yeah. Know. I mean, uh, one thing you don't want is you don't want some somebody getting upset, and then all of a sudden they say, "Hey, oh, well, the the scoutmaster did something, you know, to me or touched me or whatever." Right. Without so, having someone there to verify it. Right. So if right. you got someone there, you don't have that problem. Yep. Right. Yep. And, and unlike the Catholic Church. Right. Let me tell you something, right there, buddy. Where are we going? I mean, oh, oh, yeah. Hey, oh. now, hey, now. Priests, choir boys, you know the whole thing. Well, again, it, it's the whole. I think the misnomer too that th- there's this weird assumption which goes against the statistics that that the that a, a gay person would be more likely to be a pedophile, for example, right. than a heterosexual. And right. it's like the, the statistics are reversed. Most pedophiles are actually married. Are heterosexual, and their wives not gay. Have nothing to do. Ex- they know nothing about it. Exactly. Yep. So uh, again, it's it's just one of those things that it it's it's just kind of an old thing that they yeah. really should get on with. Well, and the thing is, is uh, but, as but long as you're trying. doing checks on them, you know, you're doing the, the the state patrol check, you know, to make sure they're not uh, the history of. And they do that too. They do yeah. background checks, yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. So. So. Yep. Good. All right. Thanks for asking. Man, no problem. You know, I don't know much about the scouting stuff, so I figured what the heck is a good venue for me and other people to learn. Good stuff. Hey, the other uh, event that we wanted to talk about was this uh, this San Antonio Spurs playoff game. Did you hear about this, Big Daddy? You know, I'm not a big basketball fan. Yeah, I, I used to be, but I'm not so much anymore. Um, you know who's a big San Antonio Spurs fan, though? Who? Our good buddy, Ed Cosner. Oh, is he? He used to be a strength coach for them. Oh, really? As a matter of fact, when they won their world title or whatever, yeah, he has a ring. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's so, very cool. Yeah. Well, so if you didn't hear this Fort Talk Nation, there's this kid. He's 11 years old. His name is Sebastian De La Cruz. Hey, you got one right. Good yes. job. Yeah. So Sebastian De La Cruz. Your Mexican's getting a lot better. I know. <laughs> my Mexican. God. Yes, my Spanish is getting better. Like I said. <laughs> Um, he was on America's Got Talent, Big Daddy. He was, huh? And he has this beautiful golden voice. And so he's at the game, and he's singing well, wait a the minute. national that, anthem. Doesn't that remind you of that movie in Batman when Bane and the little kid sings the national anthem, and Bane goes, what a lovely, lovely voice. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Good Bane impression. Thank you. Well, Do you com- feel like you're in charge? Is that, they're coming to get us? Shit. Dang it. What did you see? Here, hide this. 
That's the thought police and the political. I was kidding about the mar- I was kidding, kidding about the heroin thing. Yeah. It's a joke. Oh, mm-hmm. hey, 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 hide this. Flush it, flush it. So this kid is singing the national anthem. It's the ording, and he's it's a- the ording police. It's actually it's a Volkswagen with a gay guy on top going woo woo woo. <laughs> Pull over. <laughs> Pull over. <laughs> Shit, we're going to hell for this one. That's a great Eddie Murphy bit. Old school. Yes, indeed. Word. Hey, word up. Pump. Fist pump. All right. So this this son this guy Sebastian is the, the son of a Navy vet, right? And because it's in San Antonio, a Navy veterinarian. No, he's a veteran. Oh, Navy veteran. A Navy veteran. Oh, when you say vet, I always think of veterinarian. Yeah. And they're in San Antonio, and because they're in San Antonio, and he's there, and he's Mexican American heritage, he wore a mariachi outfit. Okay. Okay. With a guitar and everything. I don't know if he had the guitar, but he had a traditional Mexican garb on, okay. right? And he sings the national anthem. And it was great. Everybody loved it. And after that, the blogosphere and the Twitterverse blew up on this poor kid. Why? Because the song was so good? All kinds of hate and racist stuff because he was wearing this traditional Mexican garb singing the national anthem. Mm-hmm. And the kid's like, I'm, I'm an American. My dad's was a Navy guy, you know, I, I happened to be of Mexican heritage, right? Mm-hmm. But, yeah. So I wasn't happy about that. What weren't you happy about? Well, I don't like it because here's the deal. We, as Scottish heritage enthusiasts, mm-hmm. um, wear things like kilts and people often, you know, say, oh, nice dress or whatever. Right? They right. actually will give us grief for wearing a kilt. Yeah. And so I say props to the kid and I got to back him. Because he's just wearing some traditional garb that's a part of his heritage. He's an American, and he's singing a cool song. And so I say, screw all the haters. Okay. That's what I say. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. So we go to the football game, you know, Seattle Seahawks. We wouldn't go anyway because we hate them. You hate them. We all do. No. Anyway. Continue. They're playing the Steelers, and they're getting ass kicked by the Steelers again. But anyway. Steelers haven't been good since 1980-something. Steelers will whip your ass. Mike Webster will come out of the grave, grab you by your throat, and bench press your face. Mm -mm. Okay. Jack Lambert will. He's still alive. Anyway. So, I digress. So, you are asked to sing Brett Haas Lathrop, right? They hear us talking on Fork Talk. They hear you singing with your golden tones. And they say, hey, look. Big Daddy's got laryngitis. He can't sing tonight. Would you mind? <laughs> right. Okay. So they say, would you sing the national anthem? Okay. Mm-hmm. Now. Oh, say. <laughs> what are you trying to do? Have sex with the audience? Can, oh, say, can you see? Can Take you? off your blouse and play with me. What kind of a national anthem are you singing? No wonder. Continue. Okay. So. Oh, say. <laughs> you want me to continue singing or you want me to con- can you see? Do you forget the words? By the Come dawn. on, Whitney Houston, bring it home. <laughs> Continue. I'm All just right. giving you some background while you. I don't want to hear your rap. background. I'm trying. You're confusing me. <laughs> so they say, "Will you sing the damn national anthem?" And you say, "I'd love to." Do you show up in your Scottish outfit? Interesting. Answer. If I've got an American flag kilt, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? You get around this every time. Last last week it was with the chief and the Olympic thing, and you got around that one too. Buddy boy, answer the question. And the rocket's red, red glare. glare. 
the bombs bombs bursting in air. My kilt will come off and you'll see all my hair. Hey, (laughs) listen. Let me. I'm gonna play devil's advocate on this kid. Wouldn't be the time to go regimental. Let me play devil's advocate on this kid. Okay. Okay. Feel free. He's in America. Going to hell. Okay. Yes. Okay. He's singing the American the national anthem. National anthem. Yes. Okay. Why is he dressed in his Mexican heritage garb? Because I'm not talking to you, Stephanie. Candy sprinkles. Later. She's accurate though. They're in San Antonio. Oh, San Antonio, Mexico. San Antonio. Oh, that just become part of Mexico. Okay, I'm just wondering because down near the border, lots of Mexican Americans. Okay. Well, we have a lot of Asians up here in the Pacific Northwest, as you know. So if I if I'm asked to sing at the Seahawks game, don't no wait on hang on. Please wear a kimono. Should I wear a kimono and a little pointy hat? And a pair of thick glasses. You, and have a camera on my neck. You shouldn't. <laughs> you shouldn't. But if it is a Japanese-American who lives in Seattle and has dulcet tones and is singing, Oh, say, can you see? No, I can't see. I'm blind. Anyway. Anywho. So that's my argument. I, you know, I'm not saying that the kid should be booed off the stage. He had a beautiful voice. Okay? Yes. He did a lovely rendition of our national anthem. Yes. Okay, I got no problem with that. I got no problem with this kid whatsoever. Yep. I'm just saying that maybe he should have worn he should have Wranglers just worn something and a shit little, kickers? No, something a little bit more traditionally American. Like Wranglers and shit kickers? No. Like a like, like headdress and a loincloth? Like like a like a suit, like a three piece suit. <laughs> you know? I mean how many times do you go to a game or something like that and you hear somebody singing, they sing in a he nice should, outfit or a nice be, dress? He should be wearing some Adidas with a Spanx top. No, he should be draping his jeans down below his ass crack, and then he should be uh, wearing some too big of shoes and a size four X shirt. He should look like Vanilla Ice. Pretty much, you're saying absolutely. All right, I'll so go with that. That's where I stand on that topic. Well, they asked him to sing the next night, and he went on and sang again on Wednesday, just to kind of give everybody. What was he wearing? You. Good question. I didn't see what he was wearing the next night. I bet you wasn't wearing that mariachi outfit. Could be, maybe something different. Maybe, or maybe he was. Hey, and finally on Pulp. Pop culture. Well, I got it. Hold on a second. Let me give this kid props to. Okay. Okay. The kid responded very eloquently. For an, I mean, as an eleven-year-old kid, yeah. kid, he spoke very eloquently about you know his detractors, and I have to give him a lot of props for that because he he didn't lash out. He wasn't a little jerk about it. He was very calm, very cool, and he said some you know just very just said hey I don't know what all the problem is and you know bada bing so. Well, there you go. So he did? Kenny Sprinkles is saying he wore the outfit again. So that was basically an F you to the American people now. Now I got a problem. (laughs) Now I got a problem with that little kid. Uh, That little taco eating. Hey, uh, prognosticator of death, our last thing that we're going to do, by the way, is talk a little bit about who's passed recently. Yes. Uh, So just to give some shouts to people who've recently passed pop culture-wise. Al Green, the dog. A wrestler, I think you said you may he may have wrestled with. Uh, he was uh, Hulk. Hulk Hogan and him were friends. In fact, Al Green ran a, um, a wrestling school. Yeah, and I, I want to say it's in it was in Florida or Georgia. It was down there, down south somewhere. Georgia, but uh, yeah. Anyway, him and Hulk Hogan were best friends, and a lot of uh, young elite wrestlers would come through that school, and uh, he was actually very talented. Cool. It's too bad. I was I was really sad about this one, Gene Stapleton. Oh, yeah, eat it. 
Yeah, people, if you don't know Jean's name, she's famous for being Edith Bunker on All in the Family. All in the Family. Yep. I don't remember the words of the song, but it was shrieking and nasty. That's Meow Mix. What are you singing Meow Mix? What? Guys, I guess we had it made. That's what Archie sings. Those were the days. She had a loud wow. Archie! Right? <laughs> Yeah, that's her, all right. Yeah. Holy moly. What the hell are you drinking? Anyway, she was uh, a great comedy actress in that show. Yes, she was. Yeah, she, she was, was a straight man yeah. to his craziness. She acted like a dummy, but she was not. She was, no. She's a smart person. Very, very smart. So that was sad to see her go. Um, and then... That show was actually quite ahead of its time. It was. Yeah. That had um, yeah. Meat. Meathead. Meathead. Yes. Rob Reiner. Dom Dom modeled himself after Rob Reiner. He did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Rob Reiner's father was actually a very good comedy writer and actually starred in a few shows himself. Really? Hmm? Yeah. I did Carl Reiner. Oh, Carl. His dad. Yeah. yeah. And the, Vic, the Dick Van Dyke show, you may remember. Oh, I watched a lot of Dick Van Dyke was, show reruns. He was the writer, but he was also, he played the boss of Dick Van Dyke. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Yes, so, he did. There you go. Very good. And then finally, Esther Williams. Esther Williams. Esther Williams. Uh, for a lot of our Fork Talk listeners are younger. Some are older. Yeah, there's a lot of masters out there. That's true. Uh, so they'll know Esther Williams. But she was famous for the synchronized swimming movies that were done in the 40s, 50s, yeah. that kind of thing, right? 30s, 40s type She was that. kind of an original super hottie. She was quite her. a lovely lady. She yeah. really was. So uh, another sport that, sh- if it involve, it is in the. We'll, it is in the we'll have to add it on the list because yeah. that shouldn't be in there. Well, we compared can't. to having no, sheep. Now that Esther died, I really don't want to touch it. I think we should leave it alone. Really? Yeah. Oh, well, I think it can still go. I think you can go. You and your curling can go right out the goddamn window. That's it. I've had it with you. Oh yeah. Once yeah. you get, once you get a broom and sweep. Listen, we're just tired of the act. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, folks. Let me tell you something. Just the other day. No, no, we're going. Paul says we're to me. He says, "Hey, he says, hey, big dad. He says, uh, how come I don't have any friends? <laughs> how come nobody likes me? I'm like, hey, you know, Haas, This is the reason why. Just because of the way you act. Just the way you're acting right now. Okay. And then I said to him, you know, we're all just a little tired of the act. And that really hurt him because now he's saying it to me. Uh huh. Next topic. Next. To- thank God. Next topic. What are you doing with all that weight anyway? It's dangerous. Well, it'll be worth it when I make the cheerleading squad this time. With Amber and everyone else, then I'm not a loser. Okay, hang on a second. You want to become a cheerleader to prove to a girl that you are not a loser? Yeah. What? Nothing. Just high school's changed a little bit since I was a kid. Big Dead A. Awesome. Topic one. Caber. Caber. Oh, yeah, roll your tongue. Yes. Do it again. Caber. Now hold it right here next to my elbow. <laughs> Easy. Yeah, hey, so Caber, probably the quintessential game event. Hallmark. Yep, Hallmark. Event of the Highland Games. And Caber uh, is a Gaelic word meaning a pole or beam. Ooh, yeah, pole or beam. Yeah. And Caber uh, is... I know uh, you like your pole. <laughs> Easy. Hey. Uh, the caber toss is... When I met Hoss, he was dancing around a pole. Was I? It was a brass one. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not go. Call, weren't calling it the caber then, were you, Let's brother? Let's not go there. Right. Let's not go there. Uh, the caber toss is a traditional Scottish athletic event, obviously, practiced at the Scottish Highland Games. It involves tossing a large wooden pole called a caber. Indeed. 
Um, and it's said to have developed. We talked about this, I think, once before yeah, in a previous there's, episode. There's a couple of different uh, ways people talk about it. So one way was said that it has developed from the need to toss logs across a narrow chasm to cross them. So you'd flip them over like a small stream or something yeah. you were crossing. Yeah, okay, try to try to afford a uh, stream. Yeah. The part of that that doesn't make any sense to me, Big Daddy, is it? why wouldn't you just like pick the thing up, move it over to where you need it, and then drop it? Why would you need to flip it? Yeah. I guess if you're bored. Well, that's that's what kind of leads to the, the other um, theory, which is that the uh, in battle, the guys would use a caber to flip up over up to onto a wall ah. and then shinny up the wall. Okay. And take out the archers or whomever and you know, and, and that'd be one way of invading oh. a castle. Okay. I see that. I that was see. another way that I'd heard about. Interesting. So, so I think there's a lot of different reasons for it. So. Okay. Cool. Um, this is what I found funny. It was in it was in actually Wikipedia, which of course isn't the end all be all of information, but wait a minute, hold on a second. Is that right what I'm reading? <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't, nineteen and a half. No, 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 that's what I, that's what I don't think is right. Right. All so, right, yeah. in Wikipedia, it says that the Scottish caber is usually made from a larch tree, which actually I, I have heard that that's often the case. Although a larch, not, uh, larch. I thought, tree. It was a, I thought it was a typo. I thought it was yeah. large. But um, but it says then right after that a caber is typically nineteen feet six inches tall and weighs one hundred and seventy five pounds. Yeah. And I'm like, Maybe if Paul Bunyan said uh, What? Yeah. I mean, you know, we just got those new challenge cabers, and they were really hard. Pros even would have been challenged throwing them. Well, they and, were. And they were yeah. 21 feet and 120 pounds. Mm, yeah, 135. And yeah. Uh, 100, was it 135? Yeah, yeah. The, the big one. Yeah. Well, and that other one that's not dried out yet is like uh, 19 <clears throat> and 150. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you can get huge cabers, but honestly, I've never actually even heard of one 175 pounds. Have you? No. I, I have a video of Doug McDonald, famous okay. uh, Nova Scotia uh, Canadian, mm-hmm. uh, turning a, a caber which was 20 feet and 161 pounds. Holy cow. And that's a big stick. That is huge. Yeah, but I mean, Doug... McDonald was probably one of the best caber tossers ever. Holy at, cow. You know, six foot four and 285 pounds. Very That's strong huge. guy. Yeah. Well, so. Uh, you know thrower, what he is now? Huh? He's a priest. Is he? Mm-hmm. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Well, after you've turned a caber that big, where do you go from there? Basically, right to God. Yeah. I mean, who needs a woman <laughs> after you've done that, eh? Yeah. From his ears to God's. I mean, if I turned a caber that big, I'd no longer want to be around women. <laughs> Uh, well, so throwers will know this, but for Tuck Nation who are not throwers, a caber is not typically 19 feet, 6 inches, and 175 pounds. No. We may say that they are telephone poles and all that, but they are slightly smaller than that depending on the class. I always find it interesting, though, that somebody from the crowd will always yell, Hey, how much does that thing weigh? And I always yell back, 500 pounds. Oh, Wow. Wow, that's they don't know. You know, that's heavy. A person in the crowd doesn't know whether it weighs fifty pounds or whether it weighs that's a true. thousand pounds. You that's know? why there's this funny thing. I always found this funny. Like, I, it's a safety thing as well. But people, yes, candy sprinkles. What did that's you just ex- say? No, I that's exactly where. I, no, that's exactly where I was going. Candy sprinkles. Thank you. Um, I thought it was funny. It's a safety thing, but I always thought it was funny because, say, a, a caber for one of the mid classes is maybe seventy five pounds. Okay. 
and is, I don't know, 16 feet or mm-hmm. something like that, right? Yeah. Well, mo- most guys who are bigger can take a 75-pound caber that's mm-hmm. 16 feet long and take it to the center point, pick it up, put it on your shoulder, walk it somewhere, mm-hmm. right? But we everybody freaks out. No. But they don't necessarily freak out because of a safety issue. No. They freak out because they don't want the crowd thinking that a single person can pick this thing up. Yep. Now, I think that's hilarious because they're going to pick it up as soon as they pick it. Right. So why wouldn't they be able to pick it up? I, I think that's funny. I think it is funny. They're going to stand it up. It, but it does look – what, what does piss you off is always someone – it's always one of the new guys, Right. And it's usually one of the new guys that's kind of a bigger kid that lifts weights or whatever, right? Right. And he has to prove, he thinks he has to prove something. Mm-hmm. So he'll pick up the cable and walk with it like it's nothing, right? Right. Well, the funny, the thing about that is, is we don't want the crowd to think that it weighs nothing. We want them to think it's super heavy, you know, like <laughs> right. 500 pounds, right? <laughs> so you remember we, uh, episodes back, uh, we talked about uh, sheaf etiquette, right? Yes. And we talked about fork etiquette in regards to putting a fork tines down and the whole nine yards. Exactly. Right? Not stabbing yep. it on the ground. And there's caber etiquette. And there was James Gorley, the Nazi. I called him the Nazi then. I'll call him the Nazi now. All right. James Gorley lives in Kelso. But we love him. him. Yeah, we, he's a good friend of ours. But James Gorley was one of the first people I ever heard say that. He screamed at a guy halfway across the field because he was picking it up. And he's like, put it down. He's running after him. Put it down. And the poor kid doesn't know what the hell's going on, right? That's you funny. never carry a caber one at a time. You always have two people, you know. He's, right. And then, you know, he, he, he explained it, you know, after that. But I, it's funny. He, he, little stuff like that just sets him off, and it just makes me laugh. But yeah. it's one of those things. Yep. And I told you about an etiquette thing that bugged me today. Oh, yeah, you did. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so Fort Truck Nation, when you're standing up a caber and you're the one who's going to throw it, the, the guy who has just thrown usually stands the caber up for you or you have some on-field help. Yeah, a shagger perhaps. A shagger of sorts. And so they, they walk the caber up. Now, a caber, if it's a, it long enough and big enough, you can't just walk it up without it slipping because right. you're, as you keep going up, it's now slipping away from the, from the end, the small end that's down. Mm-hmm. And so the person who's throwing it will usually put their feet uh, in front of it to stop it and yeah. then allow it to come up. In the shape of a V. Perhaps. Yeah, you basically put your heels together with your toes out creating a V with your feet and then the caber goes right into the little notch there. And then as they're turning, pull, pushing it up, it's not going to go anywhere and smack you in the nuts or do whatever. Right. Hey, watch your language as a family show. Yeah. Yeah. You're one to talk. Shut up. Fuck face. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, so my pet peeve is some people, and it tends to be less experienced ones from my experience. Yeah, you're right. But you're they, right think okay i gotta stop this but they for some reason they don't like the look of the v thing or i don't know maybe they think they're being cool i don't know what it is mm-hmm. but they take their foot and they put it on the end of the caber mm-hmm. and then keep that and then use that as their stop block right and it just occurred to me as we were throwing caber today which we did which we did that that bugs the crap out of me because i'm like get your manky clawed you know cleated feet off the end of my caber right because I gotta pick that with my hands, and you might mar the finish, or I don't know, whatever. Well, the issue is with that too is it's not stable. It's not stable either because their foot slips off one side, the caber slips, and guess what? You got True. a bad back now. Right. That actually happened to me in Portland a couple of years ago, where I was pushing a caber up to a guy, and the guy just let it slip, and I totally cracked. I mean, the good thing that I was done. 
because I totally cranked my back. My back was done for like two weeks because of that. There was that one stupid asshole. I'm sorry, that one stupid person who let the caber slip off from under his foot. Yeah. And he was doing exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, interesting. So yeah. it's just a pet peeve. I mean, if I saw someone doing it, I, I wouldn't necessarily say anything. Right. Uh, they'd be dead to me. Dead to you. <laughs> That's a bad thing. You don't want to be dead to him. But uh, no, no, I, I just think it's a little bit of a courtesy thing that I think, you know, you shouldn't do. It's it's one of those things that we that, uh, athletic directors and judges should cover probably better than they do. Okay. That's, that's true. You could cover it quite yeah. easily while yeah. you're doing that game. By the way, this is how you do it. Don't put your foot exactly. on the caber. You know, it doesn't take much. And you learn that stuff when you're a novice, and that's why we always have a good – our judge is always a really good judge with novices. We always pick the same guy. Yeah. I'm going to give him a shout-out. It's Jeff McNeil. Sure, okay? yeah. He's from uh, Portland, Gresham, Gresham, Oregon. Yep. And we always use him for novices because he is so patient – and so good at explaining the, the little basic things. And people under, and, the, and the, the, the guys that throw them love it. You yeah, know? it's true. Very good. But those little techniques of, you know, just that little stuff. Not to mention how to let a caber drop, you know. True. A lot of people, they'll get it, you know, especially first-timers or so, or, you know, novice or, you know, some of the lower classes. When they pick the caber, they get it up, and it just kind of gets away from them. And they don't know how to let it go. And you always see them, they'll fight, fight, fight. And that they get so dangerous because it, it'll fall on their shoulder. Or as you right. said so eloquently earlier, it'll hit them in the nuts. <laughs> and, but, and that's what happens. And so I think, you know, one of the things that you should do as a, as a judge or an AD for some of the novice classes is, is show them correctly how to let a caber drop, how to actually set it down. You yeah, know? I think you're right. I think yeah. you're right because we, we do tell them. And it kind of goes in one ear and out mm-hmm. the other, right? right? And they're just kind of focused, right? And and I don't think they're purposefully not trying to pay attention. It's right. just like they hear it and they just kind of, yeah, 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 I get it. But then when it's actually up there, it's hard to know what it feels like when a caber of 17 feet and, you know, 75 pounds is laying off the back of your shoulder, not like a shotgun, but like, you know, laying out almost vertical. Yeah, right? when and it hits 45 degrees, you're not pulling it back you don't, Yeah, and they don't realize how far back it is. And mm-hmm. so it's falling, and to them, they still have time, and we're all yelling, oh, my God, throw it off your shoulder, because yeah. it's about ready to break their collarbone in half, right? Not to mention the caber. Yeah, that's you know, true. You get a lot of broken caber. cabers from yeah. guys doing that, too, inexperienced, right? True, true. So I think a little caber etiquette like that That'd is very... Good. To, yeah. to encourage that they actually show one and what what it looks like. Yep. So it's a good yeah, idea. I actually think that's quite valuable, though, because, you know, uh, caber tossing isn't all about just picking, running, and tossing, you know, and scoring at 12 o'clock. Yeah. And I mean, the, again, for Fork Talk Nation, people that know, aren't familiar, we're not talking a caber for distance here. Yeah. D- they do that <laughs> in bizarre places in, um, where, come, where were we talking about that? Katie <clears throat> Sprinkles? It, uh, in, um, there's, I think there's some places up in Nova Scotia where they actually do a caber toss for distance. But um, we're talking caber toss for accuracy. Flipping it end over end, perfect score is a 12 o'clock straight across from you on the clock handle. And then you yeah. veer from there, and that's how you, you do your deal. So right. I, I apologize. I just want to make sure people no, do yeah, that again. You're right. Sometimes I forget that. You know, we're not just talking to everyone who's a thrower, right? So yep. The... The thing is, that when in, in the caber, okay, let's look at a class, okay, you got a class of guys. Probably, in, if it's a good pick for that class, only a third to a half of all the guys are going to turn it. If that's a good caber pick for it's that a, class. If it's a well-chosen caber, yes, yes. very much. 
And in some classes, you'll see where, you know, or some cabers, they pick a caber and maybe one guy will turn it or maybe nobody will turn it. Yeah. You know? So knowing how to set it down is a big deal. Knowing, you know, not to, you know, if it's a late pull and you know it's not going to go, but you may break the caber, that's a big deal too. Yeah. Knowing when to just say, okay, this isn't going to happen, you know? Yeah. Here's wait a minute. This is another. It's not a peeve, but it's something I think we really need to address. I think because of just testosterone, just being all jacked up, or you know, thinking you're awesome, or or just being afraid to say, "Oh no, that's too big of a caber." Right. I think it's mainly that. Right. Is we've got way too many classes throwing too big of a caber mm-hmm. because. In a lot of the rules groups, say SHA or, or I'm sure the other ones have similar ones as well, they recommend that at least half or a third of the class should be able to turn that caber. Mm-hmm. And I would say in our region, at least 80% of the time, it is way less than that. Right. I would guess that one, like we're talking two or three people are turning the caber out of a class of 10 or 12 and that's right. it. And that is not good. I get it for the guys who, where you got an, a lopsided class, and we're talking guys who are really strong and great at caber, and they're popping these huge cabers, and they're the only ones doing it, right? Yeah. But um, it's not fun for the crowd. It's not fun for the crowd. Right. It doesn't work for the crowd. They want to see cabers turned. Yep. And two, there's a certain amount of skill in it, in that. If you're so strong and you can do this, then you should be able to just turn it just right. And there is a little bit of, if it's an appropriate caber and half the class can turn it, then you've got guys who maybe aren't as strong as the other guys, but maybe they're really technical with their turn and they get the 12 mm-hmm. and the guy doesn't. Mm-hmm. And you should have that kind of fun going on in the games mm-hmm. where someone has been blowing you away all day. But you actually pull a 12 and he gets a 12 yeah. 10 or something and you actually beat him or something. The caber has pulled me out of the hole so many times because I got I, I sucked at it. Yeah. And then I worked at it and got better at it. And it has pulled me out of the hole when I had a bad day yeah. and put me up places. In fact, I've taken I've been in third all day and, and hit first place in the competition because I turned the caber and I got 12. Yeah. So the caber is one of those things that can actually pull your day up, but it can also ruin it. Okay. You know, you could be having a really, really good day, and then you go to Caber, and let's say you pull what the judge says is a 45, okay, and yep. you end up in sixth place. Right. Right. That'll knock you down from probably wherever you were. If you were running first and second all day long. Yeah. And then you hit that sixth place because of the subjective, you know, view of the side judge. Yeah. Guess what? You yeah. just, you're done. True. Yep. Well, what you always say to that is just turn it, and then there won't be. I always then say it, then yeah. it, then you're only talking a few degrees difference on how they judge the clock. When I hear an athlete argue with the judge about you know a scoring of a degree, I always say if you turn it, you take it out of the hands of the judge. It's yeah. just like the UFC fights. If you knock the guy out and beat him, you don't have to worry about the judge's scorecard. Yeah, agreed. So agreed. Yeah, but I, I honestly, I think we should. I think we should deal with. Hold that. on a second. Would you knock it off? We realize that we're running late on this segment, but you are distracting the hell out of me and making me want to continue to go longer. It's true. true. So I'm going to continue to go longer. <laughs> C-A-B-E-R. 
T-O-S-S-E-R. I'm Gabriel Tosser. I know we're at the end of it, Candy. Um, the um, Ooh, we got the double flip, ladies and gentlemen. I, I just, I really think that, I really think that that the classes and all the throwers out there should start actually taking what they think they can do that day and drop it down a notch. Yeah. And because you are not getting enough people turning the caber to make it really fun for everybody to participate. You and I judged Newport last week. That's right. Right. Yep. Your class and my class did the exact same thing. Yep. My class picked a caber that was too big for him, and I had to tell him no. Yep. We went down to the next caber, and you know how many people turned it out of uh, eight or nine? How many? Two. Wow. And you went The down. other guys didn't even come close, and I went down a caber. Yeah. See? So. I, I'm telling you, we yeah. need to do it more often. And then, hey, finally, um, I, I love this. The person tossing the caber is all, often called a tosser. Why not? Of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love that because the English have uh, tosser is a slang in England. What does it mean? It means, uh, well, it refers to one who overly masturbates. Oh, so you'd be a tosser. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you're a tosser. You're a tosser. Yeah. You're a salad tosser. No, uh, salad tosser. Someone would also say, see, <laughs> wanker. It's another slang in the same area of tosser as a wanker. Um, it also refers to someone who's basically useless, pathetic, incapable of doing anything right. Someone who brags or shows off excessively in an embarrassing way. Someone would say he's a tosser. So he's a caber wanker. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. That's right. Maybe I'll start referring yeah, yeah. to myself. Hey, Jay, let's go wanker this thing. Let's go wanker a caber. Let's go wanker a caber. Go toss this. I like it. Next topic. Next topic. Dodgeball is a sport of violence, exclusion, and degradation. So, when you're picking players in gym class, remember to pick the bigger, stronger kids for your team. That way, you can all gang up on the weaker ones. What an old doubt. You recording this crap? I am. Knock it off. <laughs> Topic two. Topic two, sheaf windows. <laughs> that is sheaf widow. Oh, widow. <laughs> Sheaf widow. Okay. Uh, I came up with this term actually. How did you? Well, big. I've never heard it before. Well, sheaf widow. So it it encompasses a lot of things. It doesn't necessarily specifically refer to sheaf and forks, although that's where it got its nexus. (laughs) Um, Sheaf widow. So sheaf widow is the is the condition where those. Of us, like you and I, Big Daddy, mm-hmm. who love to throw heavy things yep. and who love to throw in Highland Games yep, and who love sheaf, who, Sh- who love sheaf, sheaf forks, forks, who can't have just one sheaf fork, nope. but need multiple. <laughs> You're not really much of a sheafman. I made that term up, by the way. Sheafman, I like Sheafman. it. Sheafman, yes. If you don't have, it's a, a group from the '60s as well, the doo-wop group, the Sheafman. Is it really? <laughs> yeah, <You're a> liar. <laughs> That's the Sheafman going down the railroad track. Ba-da-da-da. I'm going get with you back. Are you serious? If you're not on the 515, then you're gonna know what sorrow means, and you're gonna try, try, try all the way home. Who are all the? the way home, who? All the way home. It's the Sheafman. That's not real. No, it's Spinal Tap, dude. Oh, brother. 
I don't even. Tim's I don't even know you anymore. Anyway, the sheafmen. Yes. Yeah. If you don't have what? Multiple forks. Multiple forks. You, you and I have multiple forks. You can have a single fork that you pretty much are is your go-to fork. As long as it's three times. It's okay, as long as it's three times. But you can have multiple forks because they are fantastic to mm-hmm. practice with yep. and love and put on the wall and look at. Yes? Yeah, yeah you know Kel Mulray? Yeah, we do. I do know Kel Mulray. Diablo Pitch Fork Company. He's made a, quite a few of our forks, yeah. He has, yes. Right. They're beautiful. And he came up to me last weekend. and we were in Newport, and we are throwing sheaf together. In fact, he was throwing sheaf with us, right? And I was using Will Robinson. We all know Will Robinson. It's actually a Jonathan Irvin fork. Yes, it is. And so I felt a little bad about using a Jonathan Irvin fork, you know, in front of my favorite sheaf fork maker, Kel Mulray. Yes. Right? Yes. And I say favorite Jonathan Irvin because he's just one of my good friends. I never hung out with you yet. So, But I'm sure if we did hang out, we'd be friends too. Right. Man, I'm getting politically correct just like you. This sucks. It's good. I'm gonna make fun I, of some. I like it. Let me make fun of some Mexicans or something. Then everyone. <laughs> so the bottom line is, he says to me, he says, "So uh, is there something wrong with the the fork? I go, what fork? He goes, well, because he made me this beautiful shamrock. We've seen this. It, it is gorgeous. I like carved shamrock. Really nice. Right into the damn handle. And I go, no, I love that fork. I love it more than anything. He goes, well, how come you're not using it? And I go, well, I got to be honest with you. It it's so beautiful. I really don't want to use it. I really would rather just hang it on the wall. <laughs> um, but I found this fork. I got this fork from uh, Jonathan Irvin, and I'm just comfortable with it. I like the long handle. I it's like working the way it feels. It's yeah. been working great for me. Yeah. So um, you know, maybe it's a little bit of superstition, whatnot, whatever. So right. He was confused. He actually thought that it was because I I uh, didn't like his fork, and that had nothing to do with it. Right. Well, so he was feeling like a sheaf widow. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So here's how it happens. Let's, let's hear it. Well, significant others in your life like that they are number one. Numero uno. Numero uno. As our folks south of the border would like to say. However, when you have the passion for the games and for traveling to new games and new forks and that kind of thing... The significant other can actually feel like they're second place. Mm. And it creates the um, status of sheaf widow. Okay. Yep. yep. So when you and I want to travel to South Carolina together to throw in the world masters, <laughs> the ladies become sheaf widows. Indeed. And they and boy, do we hear about it? Well, there's consequences when a sheaf widow is created. Sometimes now, some of us get lucky because our our one our our significant others either just really support it and love it and go to the games. Some start throwing like ours did That's because right. they're just bored going and watching us, and so they want to get into it. Um, however, occasionally we need to travel on our own. And it still creates this sheaf widow scenario, both through our purchases of new forks or for our travels. Well, the thing is, is it's a little bit uh, pricey sometimes. To can be. Send four people versus two. True. Can be. Exactly. And so there are consequences. Now, consequences are different for each person. Yeah, my consequences are usually about, oh, a text message every 15 seconds. Yes. What are you doing? You got a lot of pings. <laughs> yes. For me... Um, the consequences, the ways in which you lessen the sting mm-hmm. is involving a purchasing of certain articles of clothing. 
typically Candy Sprinkles says, if I'm granted access to go with you somewhere or a new fork, Mm -hmm. that it will cost in units of a particular thing. Right. Units in her world are units of purchasing power for new boots. Ah. Because she likes boots. She does. I love boots when it's boot season. You like her boots or you like your own boots? I love her boots. I love her in boots. These boots are made for walking. (laughs) That's what... That's just what they'll do. Bop, bop. One of these days, these boots, boots are, are going to walk all over you. Boom, 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 boom. And that's what she does, ladies and gentlemen. She gets naked, and she puts boots on, and she walks across hey, his now. back. Okay, Slim Jim does not need to know this. He's now burying his hand, head in his hands saying, I, I don't know. I don't want to know this. Slim Jim doesn't have to know a lot of things that he hears from us. Right. He's like all teenagers, doesn't really remember want to acknowledge how it is he came into being we're mold we're, we're molding his young mind right anyway so hey there kid, are, let me tell you something yes the reason you're here sex <laughs> just saying <laughs> just saying so the question is i'm not gonna tell you that in health class everybody <laughs> in fork talk nation can ask themselves the question how does one get a fork pass as they fork call pass. it's often called a hall pass right, right? in fact there's right. even a movie i think about hall pass right right no. How does one get a fork pass, right? Travel does make it worse. It is a necessary evil, though. All throwers, real throwers, men and women, will know this, that it comes with consequences. Yes, indeed. You will create sheaf widows amongst yourself. Yeah, you're right. It's And the thing is, is I have yet to figure out how to pacify my handler. Uh-huh. Devil Ange, because it, there's no monetary means, no coach bags, no boots, no nothing. She just wants you. She just wants me at home. Yes. And I got a problem with that. I mean, I love it, of course. Of course. You know, you know, love uh, it. I, I'm still fairly newlywed here, and I'm sure it'll last forever. But <laughs> but the sheep, but what you are you gonna do? You know, see your barrier to entry on sheep widowness is more challenging. My sheep widowness is pacified by actually taking her wherever I go. Okay. So when I got invited to Pleasanton last year, you took her. She came with me. Right. Right. Um, and it's nice to have her there because you know usually, um, I got to admit I see I think a lot of times some of the AADs, you know, the athletic directors and stuff like that, they actually they like her more than they like me. You know what? Yeah, Steve Conway down in P Town, Old Pleasanton. You know, I, th- I don't think he invites me to invite me. He invites me to see my old lady. <laughs> could be, but could you know, be. but uh, you know, uh, we enjoy having our wives with us wherever we go. Yes, we enjoy when they throw with us, and one of the reasons why they throw is because we throw. True, you know, so that's good. I think our relationships would suffer if our wives were not interested in anything we were doing, right? They would not be interested if they if they weren't interested in throwing or the games, it would be a pretty shitty relationship. Yeah, that's true. You that's know? true. So, so mark this fork talk nation, sheaf widow, ness. Be yes. careful. You can't let it get away from you. It's a it's just a necessary fact of life. You have to find what the the way in which you can keep the uh, the damage down to a minimum. It's called bribery. <laughs> That was topic two, Big Daddy. Topic two, baby. All right. Next one. Topic three. Are you sure that this is completely necessary? Uh, necessary? 
Is it necessary for me to drink my own urine? Probably not. No, but I do it anyway because it's sterile and I like the taste. Hey, Big Daddy. Hey, Oz. Topic four. Topic four. Historical figure. figure. Historical figure. Not hysterical figure. No. Historical Historical. Figure. We love this bit. Yeah, we do. We do. It's one of our favorites. Oh, but before we get into it, you know mm. what we need to do. Yep. And I'm going to be positive this time. Are you? Yeah. All right. So this historical figure is brought to you by Sir Isaac <laughs> Figgy. We're spitting as we say his name. Newton. Sir Isaac Newton. The you know, he was actually related to Olivia Newton-John. <laughs> was he? Yeah. Was he in Xanadu? Is that where he really is? He's not dead. He's just no. living in Xanadu? Don't be ridiculous. He wrote the Xanadu, but uh, she actually played in the movie. Xanadu. Don't even. Nobody wants to hear that. Xanadu. You know, I actually went to that stupid movie. <laughs> so did I, oh dude. What? <laughs> Wait a minute. We had to have been on a date because yeah, we think... wouldn't have gone normally, would we? Yeah, I think I was gay at the time. <laughs> it was experimental. Oh, my goodness. So, you know. That's funny. Well, hey. Hey, hey, let me tell you something. So the other day, I'm uh, driving in my car, right? And I stop at a light. Guy pulls up to me in a Jeep, okay? What kind of Jeep? Just a, like a CJ5 kind of open? Yeah. Okay. A big Jeep with big tires on it also. Yeah, nice. And he says to me, he says, hey, you know, you got a log hanging on the back of your truck. I said, yeah, that's my caver. He goes, oh, wow, what do you do with that? I said, well, we uh, pick them up and we turn them, whatever. He goes, oh, cool. You in the Highland Games? I go, yeah. He goes, hey, you know, you ever listen to that Fork Talk show? And I go, yeah, I happen to be Big Daddy. He goes, you're Big Daddy? I go, yeah. He says, oh, my God, I can't believe this. Can I get an autograph? I said, well, yeah, I can give you an autograph. He says, can you get Hoss to give me an autograph, too? And I said, well, sure, I'll, I'll be by his house later on. I'll, give, I'll get his autograph free as well. He goes, that's awesome. He says, my kid loves you guys. Um, I can't stand you, personally. I think your voices suck, and I think you guys sound like a couple of queers. However, that Abraham Lincoln bit you guys did, <laughs> my family talks about it all the time. They love it. Is that right? Yeah. Is that just, right? just happened yesterday. <laughs> no weird? Well. We're getting big, but my friend. People are knowing who we are. Oh, we are. This just happened. So school just got out, right, for yeah. a lot of the kids. They've, or at least they're almost done, right? Right. In this area, they're all done. Okay. And walking down the street the other day and just minding my own business, walking down to go get a burger over at the Timber Tavern for lunch, walking down the street, this woman's coming across and she's got like a, a McDonald's bag. She grabs a cheeseburger out of there, takes it up, unwraps it and throws it at me right at my feet. What? Splat all over in front of my feet. Why would you do that? Well, she, I'm like, what the hell's wrong with you? She says... My son just came home from school, and his report card for history was full of a big fat F. Wow. And I'm like, what's that got to do with me? And she says, because he's been listening to your damn show, and he answered all the questions on the history final based on the historical figures. Really? Of Abraham Lincoln and George Washington, George Washington right, yeah. Isaac Newton. Yeah, Genghis yeah. Khan. Yep. Yeah, and all about their throwing and uh -huh. how good or bad they would be. Yeah. And she said he failed miserably. Wow. And so she was really upset. 
Well, you know, he may fail by their standards, but by Fork Talk standards, he's a fucking genius. I said, you've got yourself a special child. <laughs> That's right. And then he got on the short bus and started licking all the windows. <laughs> he did. Will you stop? What? No, he was wearing hockey gear, but he wasn't on the team. <laughs> they never are. Oh, for crying out loud. You're, now you're making me do it. That's, oh, yeah. Here I am. Filter. You're bad influence. I'm a bad boy. So who are we talking about this week, Hoss? Our historical figure is... Uh, God. Franklin... Delano. Delano Roosevelt. Um, he's an American. You don't have to roll the R. Oh, yeah, I do. It's Roosevelt. FDR, baby. That's right. FDR. Well, we got a shout out to our buddy Eric Wechter, the Big E. You and Eric came up with this yeah. actually at a games recently. We were coming back got from uh, Victoria Games, and we were on the ferry boat and on the way back. And you were euphoric from having a big bowl of chili. I was eating my big crackers. bowl of the Coho Ferry chili, and <laughs> I think Eric was in his ice cream days. <laughs> his ice cream haze. And, uh, <laughs> We started talking about he brought up FDR, and I thought, you know, that's a, that's a pretty good idea. Let's give it a shot. You know, so sure is it. Now, here we are now. Here we go, FDR. Now, I gave him a throwing name because I, I needed uh, some kind of visual. Well, the thing is, thrower. in talking about FDR, he doesn't have a whole lot of great physical attributes, so none of us thought of him as much of a thrower, okay? Right. And that's why you came up with the nickname... The Iron Gimp. The Iron Gimp, <laughs> which I actually found quite appropriate. I, I think, think if he was idea. a thrower and we liked him... And you called him the Iron Gimp. I think he'd be okay with it. I think so too. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. I mean, we give each other a lot of goofy nicknames. Absolutely. So yeah. and and call each other lots of names. So I think Iron Gimp would be well received. I think it would be. Yeah. yeah. So uh, FDR was born in January of 1882. It was. Yeah. Can't believe it's that long ago. He was the 32nd president of the United States. Yep. He beat Hoover in 1932. Mm-hmm. And his claim to fame, well, he had a lot of them, but he was the first, he, he was the last multiple term, three-term president. I think he was the only three-term president. I, I think there was actually some in historical before that that had gone more than two terms. Mm. But he is the guy who they instituted term limit relevant to no, only two terms. You can't go beyond that. Well, one of the reasons why they they elected him into the third term is where we were we had Going just into, gotten into World War Two, into World War Two, and they yeah. didn't think a change in leadership was a good idea. And you know, that was very smart. Probably a good right, idea. So. Yep, yep. So he was in. So he got into office in 1932, Big Daddy, and he was there until April of 1945. Yep, when he passed away. Good Lord, that's like a that's like a, a British or like Russian czar time frame as far as how long you're in office. Twenty three years. Twenty three years as president of the United States. Well, not 23. <laughs> what? 27. <laughs> 12. Carry the 12 one. years. Add the three. Carry um, the two. And eight. he lost eventually when Harry S. Truman took over after the war. Well, right? he died. He died and Harry S. Truman took over. What? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, I, I didn't remember that. I thought right. they had an actual election. No. So he passed and Truman became the band. That's right. And as, then see, Truman was VP, the vice president. As VP, yeah. Right. And then he got elected to a term after he... Succeeded his. This is why history students uh, shouldn't be listening to me. That's why, yeah, absolutely. That's why you get <laughs> cheeseburgers thrown your fucking feet. Um, so. he, and as many and people. Truman fired MacArthur. Did he? He did. Well, during the go. Korean War. There you go. So MacArthur was a great leader during World War II yep. in the Pacific Rim. Realm. Well, well uh, FDR was obviously a busy guy. Many people know that. I mean, the programs that his administration set off in those 12 years. In getting 
through the depression right. and uh, putting programs in place that a lot of people actually, I think accurately say, Hey, some of those programs they put in place, although good intended and have been good programs overall also exacerbated the situation. It What's took longer to get out of the depression because of the programs they put in What's place. What's his biggest program he's known for? You know? Well, it would probably be Social Security, That's I would the imagine. biggest one and yeah. still going strong today, buddy. Yeah. yeah. I, I, he, there was a lot of very kind of modern era, liberal, progressive situations that he put in place pretty right. much. Yep. Yeah. So, um, so he was a busy boy during that period. Um, his wife, Eleanor Roosevelt, fairly famous as, as first wives go. Mm-hmm. Um, what it was interesting in getting to know him better, uh, Big Daddy, is he and Eleanor, not so much. Not so much. <laughs> they they, no. they married. Um, his mom didn't want him to marry her. I don't. It didn't say in the research I did why, but she just really wasn't happy with. Perhaps you listen to his mother. She didn't tell you had much fun with her. Well, she. So he was your typical overachieving politician. He was. He was born into some uh, well-to-do parents, so he had a lot of up, and he was a smart guy, so he had an opportunity to really to run with it. But he was a typical politician in that he was gregarious, outgoing, very social, you know, meets people, likes to, you know, get to know people. Just babies. All that, yeah. Eleanor, not. The exact opposite, right? Wanted to just be inclusive in in the house, that kind of thing. So she... Um, and he just really, I mean, they had kids like right away quick, but I, this bit I read was even that she, I mean, she was, she actually vocally at the time, which was bizarre. I couldn't believe this quote was even in print, but she was quoted as saying that, you know, sex just really was a burden that you just kind of had to get on with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, well, I, I, I feel for her. I think, I think it's true. Right. Sex is a burden. <laughs> is it for you? It's something I really don't like to do. Yes, it's painful. Other than with yourself, no. I, I have a I have a wife, and you know we have sex all the time. And you know, like I said, she calls me the destroyer, <laughs> the you destroyer know, of beds. To have to, to have to get up at the end of it and pick up your bed and put it back together every time, <laughs> it is a burden. I know Thank it's a burden. Good thing you're good friends with the guy who owns a mattress company. That's right, mattressranch dot com. That's one word, ladies and gentlemen. Um, so yeah. yeah, unfortunately, they did not have a very good partnership it was really a, a, a friendship related around a business proposition around keeping the whole you know thing you know going. they rarely even stayed in the white house well at some point because he was often involved with um he did have some affairs because they weren't obviously intimate in any way well if you and, watch the movie that just came out about him yeah with starring bill murray yeah who did an excellent job by the way yes um, you're going to find out more about FDR than you ever wanted to know. Yeah. He well, loved his cousins. Really? And when I mean loved them, <laughs> I'm telling you, he loved them. There you go. Actually, I believe Eleanor was related to him. Eleanor was actually one of his second second or what? first cousins. It's true. Look it up, Candy. Really? Yep. Wow. Yep. Well, so they, they actually lived apart most of the time. I right. mean, you know, I mean, they just show up for official events, but didn't really, you know, live together. Um, as he was later in his life, actually, I read where he was getting ill and, and his polio and other things were, were pretty hard to deal with. He actually asked her to move back in and she said, hell no. No. I mean, she knew what was going on, so she just didn't want to have anything to do with it, unfortunately. So. Well, he was, uh, toward the end of his life, he was actually quite uh, crippled and jacked up. Yep. And uh, no, am I wrong? 
Huh? Yeah. Speak. So, Eleanor Roosevelt was, her uncle was Theodore Roosevelt, but... Like I said, they were related. Not the same families. Different uh, Roosevelts. Different Roosevelts. Oh, but, yeah, whatever. Uh, same... Thank you, Katie. Name. Interesting. But hey, here's the thing. Who gives a crap? Here's the deal. Can he fucking throw or not? That's right. Can how? What kind of thrower would he be? I don't care about be? Eleanor and all of his bullshit. You know, can he throw? So I think that you're. I think he's in horrific shape because he smokes all the time. True. Yeah. He. I don't. I didn't see anything in his background when he was a, a youth and all that that he, he had was polio. Really much athletic. He couldn't do anything. Contracted polio later in life. Yeah, when he was what? Because he because he, he went on a trip and got it and all that, but. Um, he got bit by the polio spider. Right, the pol the polio spider. He was twenty one. Nineteen twenty one. Yeah, so that's only that's less that's like nine that's a uh, eleven years from when he became president. Wow. So it was it was later in his life, but he um, and he was born in the eighteen eighties. Eighteen eighty two, as a matter of fact, January yeah. of eighteen eighty two. Yeah, good memory. Good well, memory. I'm reading this right here. So, so he um. So I agree with you. He was 39. In, in the first scenario, um, you and Eric were discussing, he wouldn't be a very good thrower. No. However, I think that he would possibly be quite good at, at, at a very specific event, mm-hmm. and that is hammer. That's right. And yeah. why would that be? Okay, so the, I think there's two reasons. I think the number one reason we both know. Well, I actually think it's more the second one, but you... Your first one is interesting. So the first one is what? My first reason why I think he'd be a good hammer thrower is because he wears those polio boots. And okay. you strap on a couple of blades on them sons of bitches, and guess what? Your feet ain't going nowhere. Nowhere. And as Ryan Vieira says, keep your feet out of it, and the rest will follow. Absolutely. Right? Those leg braces will hold him up. All he has to do is swivel his hips, bada-bing, 110 feet. Well, and here's where that's where I think his power would come in because one of the things that was quite cool about him because he was really, as as I think people are, you know, in some of the historical stuff that people have been popular culture-wise starting to get to know about him, he didn't want polio and his basically being paralyzed from the waist down to affect the persona that he gave to the country, right? That needed strong leadership in a time of war and all that. Right. Right. But, but so, but it went beyond just like the tricks of the trade. He, he actually worked his ass off in getting to a point physically where he could, um, get himself with the leg braces up in a standing position Mm -hmm. so that he could use a cane and he could actually walk for a bit of time so that they could kind of set him up, um, where people couldn't see him, and then he could walk out to a podium, do his speech, walk back, and then get into the wheelchair. Well, do you know that he had a guy that personally carried him around? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, he had a and a bodyguard and all that kind of now stuff. Now, that son of a bitch could probably throw like crazy because he's probably stronger than Ox. Yeah, he was, yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. But, but he got himself to a position that he was so strong that because he had basically had to lock those leg braces out, and then it was just his hips that he would push left and right to make uh, to walk himself out. Well, if you ask his cousins, I bet they thought he had some swivel <laughs> hips too. Eh? Huh? Huh? He wasn't totally paralyzed from the waist it's down. If you know what I mean. Right. <laughs> anyway, I think that his ability to do that would have given him a lot of power in the hammer. In the hammer, with, okay. his, with his boots in there, I think he could have been. You good. make quite a good point, but yeah. I don't think he's going to throw a stone worth of shit. Nope. Wait for height? No way. No. Nope. Can't get on his heels. Nope. Well, I mean, he could, but they're buried in the ground. Yep. Uh, Caber, 
<laughs> Fat chance. No caber. Yeah, I can imagine that'd be like four four no. when he's running in his braces. No, no sheaf. <laughs> no sheaf, no caber. No weights for so, distance. Scale no. of one to ten for FDR. He'd been a damn good hammer thrower, that's it. I'd give I'd give him a one and a half and as long as he can throw maybe throw the hammer. Well, they can't all be good throwers. True. If it was that easy, everybody would do it. That's right. And as we know, there's only so many. We have 44 presidents, if you include the one we currently have, which I don't. But we have 44 presidents, and uh, you got to figure, if they could all throw, Highland Games would be a hell of a lot more important. It would be on broad, it'd be broadcasted network. Right. Well, so FDR, rest in peace. Still dead, by the way. He is. No, he is dead. Yes. Yeah, yeah that's confirmed. And... Um, uh, sorry, dude. You wouldn't be that good of a thrower. Yeah, yeah, but you know what? You did a hell of a good, hell of a good job uh, during World War II, there, buddy. Next segment. Next segment. I'm curious. Is it strictly apathy, or do you really not have a goal in life? I found that if you have a goal, that you might not reach it. But if you don't have one, then you are never disappointed. And I got to tell you, it feels phenomenal. Hey, Big Daddy. Hey, Hoss. It's interview time. <laughs> My favorite time of day. Yes, it is. And we have a. I'm very excited about our interview this this episode on the Ocho. The Ocho, yes, number eight. Hey, you know, I've been wanting to interview this guy. You know, since we started this. As a matter of fact, yeah, he was at the top of the list as he, soon yeah. as we said we're, we're, we we got to have him on. Yeah, but then Ryan Vieira kind of bumped him, and then you know Francis Brebner kind of bumped him. Yeah, all the prima donnas. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> So anyway, hey, without further ado, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I want to uh, introduce our guest. Our guest today, today on Fork Talk is uh, the current Masters World Champion, age 40 to 45, which is a very tough bracket. Yes, it is. Uh, he's a, let's see, three-time North American Championship, that's the Claw Championship there, um, 2009 uh, National Championship. And he won Fergus as well, which is a big championship as well. So without further ado, Mr. Kerry Overfelt, all the way from Kentucky. Kentucky. <laughs> How are you doing, sir? Good, guys. How are you? Good. Good to hear. Welcome to Fork Talk, Kerry. Glad to be here, guys. Thanks for having me on. No problemo. This man's got the sweetest socks in all of Highland Games. Indeed. Yeah, what's up with that? Go ahead and tell our tell our listeners uh, what the deal is with the socks. I'm sure they all want to know. Well, uh, early on, I uh, you know I got the pleasure of actually learning how to do this sport correctly, um, and I figured out that it's not really how good you are to get invited to games; <laughs> it's how much the athletic directors like you um. and how much the crowd likes you. So uh, you know, I I started out early on, uh, you know, doing crazy stuff crazy antics and all that stuff, and then kind of the socks evolved, and uh, I've actually had athletic directors buy me socks to wear to their games, you know, just crazy different socks, things like that. Um, so the uh, the queen out at Portland, she had bought me a pair of socks to wear there, and I've, uh, I've got some people that request certain colors and stuff when I come to their games, so it's become sort of a pretty little joke. Wow, that's awesome. I had no idea it had gotten that big. That's cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That, that is neat. <laughs> Well, now everybody's kind of doing it. You notice? Uh, it's true. There's a lot of there's a lot of um, elaborate hose being worn. <laughs> Watch how you say hose. <laughs> hey, 
We see. I mean, we see guys with the with the with the print on their socks now, like bacon and meat and beer. Right. You know, I even got a, I've got a pair that that um, that say Portland on it. I only wear when I go to the Queens game. There you go. But <clears throat> hey, Carrie, what do you do for a living? Uh, right now, uh, for the last uh, about twelve years, um, I've been personal training. Uh, been very blessed with that. I'm in a very small town, and. Uh, Actually, have uh, have a lot of clients. Uh, just sold my soul to the devil, <laughs> and uh, took this absolutely retarded CrossFit class. I'm much more stupider now for taking this thing, <laughs> but I am allowed to teach cheating pull-ups and how to do really, really, really shitty deadlift form now. So I'm probably one of the top CrossFit trainers there is. <laughs> you know, you're probably at the top of the list. Yeah. You know, you get one of your so, good buddies, Mark Valenti. He's a CrossFit uh, convert too, isn't he? Mark Valenti is a straight whore. It doesn't matter if it's CrossFit. It doesn't matter if it's insurance sales. It doesn't matter what it is. He'll whore himself out for a dollar. It doesn't matter to him. <laughs> he is a sellout. <laughs> That's yeah. good stuff. Well, I, you can... uh, I've not drank, uh, not drank all the Kool-Aid yet, and uh, I had several uh, had several questions when I went to the seminar, like, uh you know, why do you guys not use the glute hand raise for what it's supposed to be used for? <laughs> and I got the most ridiculous answer I've ever heard in my life because <laughs> it's an isolation exercise for the hamstrings. So I said, have you done those? <laughs> because I'm feeling from my Achilles all the way into my erectors. I don't know how you guys do them. So I, I was not a good CrossFit uh, student, let's just say that. But I did pass, so... Um, I've got to go where the money's at, mm-hmm. and when you put CrossFit on something, people automatically think that you know what you're doing, and you're able, you know, to teach them, and they see all these games, and they see these people in really good shape, so it's anything in fitness is the quickest and latest craze, Yeah, and that's what this is, and, uh, you know, I've got, I've got a great, nice, little 1,800-square-foot facility that's a super hardcore place I've always wanted, uh, so... I actually have used the CrossFit thing to build me like a small performance center where I can train uh, more of my athletes out of, uh, that kind of stuff. So um, personal training, strength and conditioning coach, um, you know, anything that's, you know, fitness related. I've got people all the way from the age of 88, you know, all the way down to 11 years old that I train. So very, very broad spectrum. So um, when I first started doing this, it was only old people I was training. So I had to do everything backwards, and I think that's probably anything because I had to go in reverse. You know, if you get a younger kid, you can just about do anything with them and not hurt them. Right. Uh, somebody older, then you really got to look at body mechanics and anatomy and a lot of different things. So working in reverse has really helped me. But uh, really, really love my job other than getting up at the butt crack of dawn every morning. Uh, <laughs> love my clients. Uh, have a really good time with them. So uh, it's one of those things where I don't mind going to work every day. That's good. You know, if you do something you love, you know, you never work a day in your life. That's what they say. You That's know? what they say. There you go. So I uh, don't believe that book. <laughs> I don't either. For the you know, for the record, I don't believe in that crap either. But you know, I got to say because it, it sounds cool. Hey, uh, so when when is your Zumba class going to start? Are you going to start Zumba out there too? <laughs> <laughs> I'll program some Zumba. I oh. don't care. Oh, I know you do. I've seen you on the field. 
be looking for the Mark Maloney Zumba uh, video. It'll be coming out. Oh, man. The Bears will be freaking lining up to watch that video. <laughs> uh, like, he's been shaving lately, so uh, I don't know. He's, he's not as buried as usual. <laughs> so so we'll, we'll leave Mark alone. He's, I think we'll, we'll bring him on as our, one of our next guests to go ahead and rebut all this, I guess. So, um, so uh, how, how did you get into the games in the first place? Um, I was working out. Um, I went to one year of one year of college. Uh, just was ate up with bodybuilding. I just thought, you know, it was the greatest thing, you know, ever. Mm-hmm. You, know, you see these huge guys that look like, you know, I was a comic book nerd growing up. So looking at, you know, these guys, that's what I wanted to look like. So I was really ate up with bodybuilding and got involved uh, at a local. I say local gym. I'm a. I'm really an old farm boy, and none of my uncles or my family could understand why I wanted to lift weights when you got all these hay bales in the field. There's no reason to lift weights. <laughs> so uh, I would go, uh, this is no lie, I'd go after a full day in either the tobacco patch or the hay field or milking cows or whatever we had to do that day. And I'd go over 8 o'clock at night to the gym and I'd work out and lift. And uh, I had a probably the most, one of the most influential men in my life. Uh, his name's Brett Underwood. He owned the gym in Glasgow, Kentucky, which Glasgow holds a, a really big game every year. And um, he taught me everything I know about lifting, form, technique, respect, um, a lot of a lot of stuff in just life in general. Well, he uh, he said to us one day, he said, hey, let's go over and let's try these Highland games. I had no idea what they were, had, you know, really no clue at all what was going on. He had uh, he'd gotten the weights and stuff from the uh, Glasgow Highland Games people, and so we went out to try and throw. Um, I'd thrown a little bit of discus and shots in high school. Mm-hmm. We didn't have a coach. We just kind of had to self-teach ourselves. So I don't ever consider myself a track and field guy. Right. Uh, so we went out, and uh, we started throwing, and I was by far the worst one in our group. <laughs> uh, it was just, I was awful. And... I actually had a little bit of technique, but um, I had a cousin who was a 19-year-old 500-pound bench presser. <laughs> so, you know, he was a pretty strong cat. Uh, and everybody else was just stronger than I was. I was never you – know, I had to really, really work for the strength that I have. So right. we, uh, we got started just purely by luck. And uh, we went over and we tried it out. So uh, every summer, you know, I'd go back and I would do that game. And I honestly had no idea that they had these games anywhere else. <laughs> like, I didn't know that they did this anywhere else. Right. And uh, so uh, about, I guess it was uh, 98, I had just gotten out of, um, I had just gotten out of uh, college, wanted something to do, and I thought, you know what, I'll just, you know, I'll do these Highland games. And uh, I got lucky enough, I met up with a guy one of the best guys I've ever met in Highland Games. And you guys know you meet a lot of great people in Highland Games. Yes, you really you do. do. Absolutely. And uh, a really good friend of mine, Doug Grissom, uh, down from Atlanta, he called me and said, hey, let's go to this game so-and-so. And I was like, where? Mississippi? <laughs> and so that kind of started it. Like, he called me a month later. He and I drove 21 hours straight to Highlands Ranch. Wow. Yeah. Straight out there in three. Not well, mind you, but we went out there. <laughs> so, 
that's kind of how I got started was, you know, working working out at the, at the gym with uh, Brett Underwood, and then he just kind of said, hey, let's start. And uh, one of the crazy things was Brett told me, he said, you're going to be better than anybody here. And I said, I'm not, I'm throwing five feet farther or less than you guys are now. Mm-hmm. How are you going to say that? You just move better. You're more athletic. You're going to end up being better. Right. And if you'd have told me, hey, uh, Kerry, you're going to probably be one of the, you'll be one of the top pros, you know, for several years. I would have called you the biggest liar ever <laughs> because I was just that bad. <laughs> and uh, it took a lot of, you know, a lot of work. A lot of these guys get lucky when they come in with this track and field experience, hammer throwers, shot putters, those kind of guys. It's just automatic for those guys. Right. Yeah. Me, you know, like me and, and Jay, it's, it's hard. Yeah. It's, it's really hard to find, you know, repattern everything. So uh, it's uh, been a great run, though. It's been, yeah. it's been a lot of fun, but that's how, that's how that ended up starting. Yeah, definitely. You know, I've, I watch a lot of guys, you know, I've watched a lot of guys over the years throw and, um, Watching carry throw is different than watching other people. And one of the reasons is you watch some of these guys and they're kind of fluid in their movement, like let's say with 28-pound weight for distance. But when carry Overfelt throws a 28-pound weight for distance, it's uh, it's like um, it's almost like a car accident, you know. It's fast and violent. <laughs> and, and you can't take your eyes off of it. And then the weight just blows out of the trig, you know. Yeah. And you see, I mean, you see some guys, they move, like Matt Vincent, he moves nice and smooth, and he, he gets through his, his throw all right, you know, and it, and it goes. But I never, it doesn't seem like anyone puts the effort into it like you'd see Kerry putting into it. You know, same with the hammer, too. It looked like that hammer was his worst enemy, and he was strangling it until it died, and then he'd throw it away, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's right. That, that's one of the things I always remember about watching, about watching you throw, Kerry, is, uh, you just had this, just you know, just passion and rage for throwing the weight, and it was always just fun to watch. Yep, the showman. Hey, well, the, uh, we, Craig Smith and I call that the X factor. Is uh, we'll watch a lot of guys throw, and we can tell you after their first throw if they have an X factor or not. And what we mean by the X factor is that he and I have always said it matters none. It matters nothing at all where you land when you come to the end of that throw. The handle needs to come out of the weight. Uh-huh. It needs to be ripped from the weight. And, you know, that's it saved me a lot of times. So it saved a lot of throws. Uh, you know, because I get to the end, I don't care where I'm at. I don't care what's happening. I don't care what's going on. You're right. It's violence. It's yeah. a total, you know, I'm totally violent with it. And you'll see a lot of guys, um, you know, Larry Brock, for one, is one of the best technicians I've ever seen. Right. And watching him throw pure beauty. <laughs> And uh, he would he'd get to the end, but if it wasn't a, if it wasn't just right, sometimes you'd see Larry let up. Not that Larry was not an incredible thrower, because I still think Larry's probably one of the best ever. But it, it just it's just different. It's different, and True. and you've got me on that because there is a there is a violent rage that you know that's in there when I'm throwing the weights or the hammer or any of that stuff. So. <laughs> Well, see, I nailed it on the head there. Do you see that? You off? did. You uh-huh. did very good. Yeah, good I, got a, I got a keen eye yes. for, for athletics. Well, and I tell you, I'll tell you what, Kerry. Um, unfortunately, uh, I think um, 
there's a good and bad in all things. So the the good thing is you have entered the um, 40 to 44 class of the <laughs> Masters Championships. Uh, the bad thing for all of us in that class is we've now playing for second, third, fourth, 15th, and 23rd. Uh, so, And the good news is I turn 50 next year. Uh, it's great for the crowds. Yeah, exactly. And you're out of that class. Way out. And, and if this guy keeps throwing, I get to keep throwing with him, which actually is a good thing. It's a good day. Yeah. But uh, thank, thankfully for the crowds that love watching the World Masters, uh, they've now got a character of your stature in, and uh, and you uh, took it to the took it to him hard down in uh, in uh, Mexico, New Mexico, New Mexico. Yes, yeah. congratulations. Yeah. By the way, that's a big one. Brady Miller is an awesome thrower, as you know, and uh, you know beating him very tough. But then again, you know you are Terry. Uh, it was a it was a really really good competition. Um, I had uh, I actually didn't throw as well as I did a few weeks ago. Um, before it at Lock Norman, I thought I would. Uh, I was hoping to feel a little better. Mm-hmm. I had my sights set a couple records I wanted to break. Um, it was just kind of one of those things, and you guys know you've been throwing long enough that it, you can eat the exact same food, drink the amount, <laughs> same amount of water, uh, do everything exactly right from one week to the next, and you're going to end up with a totally different result. Well, you can say that again. <laughs> so it was kind of, I thought, you know, I've been doing this long enough, I thought I had this planned out pretty well. And uh, I got out there, and things just weren't really – they just weren't really flying that far. But and it was kind of almost for everybody, too. I think everybody was a little bit off. But uh, great, great competition with uh, Mike Dickens and Brady Miller being in there, uh, especially Brady Miller. You know, it's kind of a shame that guy didn't get into this 10 years ago because, cool. you know, Brady could probably uh, – you know, he could have probably been pro and, and done pretty well. I mean, he's he is an incredibly gifted athlete. I mean, he's a big guy. Very explosive, um, you know. Same thing with Mike. Mike's Mike's very good. Mike's mm-hmm. very fluid. He's very looks really, really sweet when he's throwing. I mean, it's just especially when he's throwing hammer and stuff. And he's really good with a caper. You know, yeah. he's not a huge guy. He's a really good caper guy. So uh, it was a good competition. I, I appreciate appreciate you guys. Uh, congratulations on that. I yeah. appreciate that. No, that's a big deal, man. Uh, uh, are you uh, you get a ring, don't you, for that the World Masters? Want to get a uh, fancy uh, ring? I'm not sure on that. I'm not uh, not 100 sure. I'm pretty sure you do. Knowing, I'm pretty sure you get one. And as a matter of fact, if you get it and you don't like it, you can always send it to me. I got no problem wearing it. Jay, I'm pretty sure that the the because of the swag issue we're having with oh, the World Masters, I'm not. I'm, maybe they don't even give. A, they probably give him a um, a Cracker Jack ring. Maybe. Cracker Jack box That's ring. That's true. Yeah, we still we, I got like a, I still got a bone to pick with Rogers about that. <laughs> so we we talked about. I mean, you mentioned a few guys that influence you and all that stuff um, in in your early days in the sport. But I know for a fact, because I've heard this before, that there's one man that really influenced you and your career. Do you remember who that might be? Let me let me let me give you well, let me give you. <laughs> Let me give you a hint. Uh, Brian Oldfield. Oh. <laughs> you sure you want to? <laughs> <laughs> now, I got it on good information because, you know, I've always got my little birdies working for me. But if, if I got my story right, you had a little, uh, you had a little chat with old Brian. How'd that go? 
I would have never had a chat with Brian had he not sat there and ran that pie hole for two days straight <laughs> about how terrible the pros were at this game and how they weren't very good. And when he was throwing, he did this. And when he was throwing, he did that. And mm-hmm. he went on and on for one full day straight. So on day two, I'd had enough. Uh-huh. And I'm sitting there. And at the time, you know, I think I might have been ranked like third or fourth in the country. You know, Craig's sitting there. He's ranked like six or seven in the country. I forgot who else was there, but we, we started adding up. And there was six of us there, and three of us were in the top ten. Right. And Brian Oakley's in here. And I know for a fact that I've accidentally been drunk and thrown at the one turn farther in the 56 than he's ever thrown in it. <laughs> and he sat there and tried to tell us the biggest craziest, bullshitted story I'd ever heard. And I would have probably let it go if he'd have been talking about anything but Highland Games. Right. But there's never man there's never been a man throw 50 feet in Highland Games. Right. Brian Oldfield sat there and tried to say that as he turned, they had a camera and a cherry picker above him, and he pulled the weight in to miss the cherry picker, and he popped his bicep, let his arm back out, and that's when he hit 50 feet. With the heavyweight for this. And that, that's when I basically said, now, Brian, you know that's a damn lie. I mean, you know it's a lie. Nobody's ever thrown feet. You've not even come close to ever throwing 50 feet. And so he humbled and mumbled around. And uh-huh. He didn't say much. Let's just say that. Uh-huh. But I have, I'm one of those guys that I will, you can take me all the way to the edge. Uh-huh. But when you get me to the edge... <laughs> then I'm going to have to say, so I'm the most mild-mannered. You guys have been around me. You know, I yep. love to have fun, love to laugh. I love to, you know, just get out there and make the crowd laugh and do those kind of things. But when you start telling me just blatant lies <laughs> about my sport, and I know how hard this sport is, right. to throw 50 feet is just an incredible feat. And for him to say that he popped a bicep doing it, because he had to miss the cherry picker because they were filming him. <laughs> and then the other thing was, I said, Brian, did you ever have a legal throw? Because the Fosbury flop that you used to throw that I've seen on YouTube is a foul. That's a foul. Yeah. And they were scared. Back in the day, I had talked to some of the older guys. They were scared of Brian, so they didn't foul him. Right. Right. I heard so that, he too. So he didn't have a legal throw since, like, the Nixon era. I mean, it, <laughs> I was just so pissed off that he was sitting there saying stuff. So, yeah, I, I went into him pretty good. Good. I, and, uh, it's a pretty pretty on, pretty good little joke with Craig and Mark and <laughs> Doug Seiger and I. Because they were all sitting in the tent. And uh, they just had him up for a game. He was up there signing autographs. And, mm-hmm. you know, so bad for the guy. He said there, he's in a wheelchair. He's all, you know, he's all mangled up. and. Yep. So we let him tell lies all day the first day. The second day, I had to stop it. <laughs> you just had had enough. Well, you're in good company because it seems like <laughs> you're in good company, Carrie, because I think everybody we've interviewed, they've got one or two stories about someone that Jay winds up and says, oh, you're good friends with so-and-so, aren't you? <laughs> Yes, I yes, I fell into their throat once. <laughs> yeah, that was my Miles Wetzel story when he was talking when we were talking about that chief bag incident and the young man who kept lying to good, him about sending it to him. Good stuff. Good but, stuff. Well, so 
Carrie, with the time we've got left, what uh, what's what's the plans for the next year or so? How what you gonna you gonna keep destroying us in the masters class, or are you gonna keep doing some pro events? What's the plan? No, uh, I'm gonna. Uh, I'll probably do. Um, I know for sure this weekend, barring death or injury, going up there, I'll do. Uh, I'll do the Ohio game. Um, I still. I'd like to be like the first, and I guess I'll put that out there because I'm not scared to say I'll do something and try and go do it. Um, you know, I'd like to be the first over 42 guy to make the nationals. You know, I I'd have to go back and look, and I don't know if Ryan was if Ryan made the nationals when he was 42, but I don't. I don't think he was, mm-hmm. um, but I think uh, I'd like, I definitely want to make a run to try and go back to Nationals just to say I went back. Um, I think I still have, you know, still pretty pretty healthy right now, but, uh, you know, any time you're getting over the age of 40, mm-hmm. and I think any, any Masters competitor will tell you that, that you're just trying to stay healthy. Right. You know, like you almost got to pick and choose. Um I learned that way back on watching, like, Ryan throw. And a lot of guys will take extras on everything. Right. These young kids, yep. <laughs> they'll take an extra chance. Well, about six or seven years ago, I quit doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, extras anymore. And I learned from Ryan that you throw far enough just to win. You know, unless there's something really big on the line, there's no reason for me to throw <laughs> You know, if we throw 50 feet in something and, and you've thrown 41, if mm-hmm. I can throw 41 and win, why the hell would I waste the rest of that energy to throw 50 when I can save it for another day? Good point. So, uh, I've, you know, I've kind of, I think I've kind of kept my body, you know, pretty good shape. But I mean, I've, you know, I've, last couple of years I've had two, you know, hamstrings uh, that's torn on me. Of course, I think I got, hopefully got that fixed. Uh, I went back to my old training journals and, taking box squats out and I think that was a big reason probably that my hammies had started to do like that. Um yeah. I had the pleasure of uh dating Shauna Mendelson for about a year here and um it's pretty humbling when a hundred and sixty pound <laughs> chick is critiquing the hell out of your deadlift form and you're a seven hundred pound deadlifter and she's telling you you're all wrong. Yeah. So yeah. that uh that's another reason I think that I probably had some issues. So I've tweaked a lot of stuff trying to stay healthier, you know this year, um, you know, for several reasons. Is I hate being hurt. I feel like a candy ass when I'm hurt. <laughs> I mean, I feel like, you know, you just feel just helpless. Yeah. So last year I had, a, had an issue where I had the hamstring, and I just never really got back to to form. So I was kind of hoping this year that I could kind of get back into, into throwing better. And I've still, I've still hit, uh, you know, hit almost 42 feet with the heavyweight, 56 down at lock. Uh, Went over eighty, so I mean, I still still got a little flight left in me, guys. Oh yeah. Well, I noticed uh, looking at your uh, Facebook page that uh, you look to be in better shape in the last year or so than I've ever seen you. You know, you, you seem uh, seem to be in really good shape. So I imagine, you know, once you move over forty, you you know, you shed a little extra weight, you get a little better shape. That it's going to work to your advantage as opposed to carrying around any extra, you know, mass. You know, so. Well, that, that was another thing too. Is uh, you know starting to look at some of these guys that you know I, that I grew up going with, um, you know, and as they got older and they kept that weight, it just didn't look like it. It just didn't help them. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I'll be the first to tell you, the sloppiest, worst shape I was ever in 
I threw shit so far, I, it surprised me. <laughs> so there's, you know, there's some movie when I was at 300 pounds and looked terrible. You know, that that was back in 2008, 2009. Um, start of like 2011, I was pretty heavy. But I also know that if I want to continue to do, you know, 10 to 12 games a year, I've got to be in good shape. One guy that really kind of really sparked me onto that. I don't know how much you guys have been around Gene Flynn. Oh, yeah. But uh, Gene packed his own meals. You know, Gene's got his own stuff. He's, you know, he eats healthy, stays in good shape. Uh, Gene came down to my Glasgow game and just destroyed the 50 and over, you know, records, Hammer, the Sheaves, uh, you know, Caber. I mean, Gene's 50 years old. Yeah. yeah. And he's still getting it done. He's getting so, better. Yeah. yeah. He's getting, he you don't see that very often. He's a 50-year-old guy who gets better every year, you know? Yeah, Gene's, uh, Gene's amazing, and he's probably the reason that uh, I'll probably stay in Highland Games is just because, you know, he is a total inspiration to me. You know, really? watching him at that, um, I can't really say that without saying when I say inspiration. is another one, you know, Miles Wetzel's a total inspiration to me. Oh, yeah, big you know, time. He came up, and uh, he threw at the Glasgow game, and he threw better then he's thrown a long time. He was really happy yep. to see that on someone that I care so much about meant the world to me. And this guy has been through. There's no way he should be alive, guys. Nope. No way. No. You're and right. here has 90 degree heat, terrible humidity, and he's out there somewhere. I'm sitting there thinking, and I'm sitting here whining about this or that. You gotta be kidding me. Yeah. yeah. You, know, he, you know, it's just really impressive. I, I think. I think in our sport, there's so many great stories, you know, of everybody. Big time. And uh, I think that's what, you know, really keeps me drawn into the sport and, and, you know, doing it. I know it's very obscure. Nobody has a clue where I'm getting on a plane, why in the world I've got a golf bag and i got a pitchfork in it. (laughs) (laughs) We're there, brother. We're with you. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I don't have to be on ESPN every weekend to know that, I've met some really, really great people in my life because of holidays. That's and true. That's, how, that's what I really. Yeah. You know, I'm, 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 Haas is trying to move me along, but I got to say this. You know, when when Haas and I took over uh, Bellingham this last year, we wanted pros, mm-hmm. and we got pros, and pros made the difference. We had a beautiful game, and you know, our deal is we want we want we think that there should be more games that are open to pros so they can get more you know exposure and you know so just have more places to compete. But one of the things that, that we talked about in the morning, we had novices. And I told the novices, I said, one thing you guys should keep in mind is that if you stick with Highland Games, it'll change your life. You know, you will meet people that uh, mean so much to you, that you have so many relationships with. You know, I met my wife basically through Highland Games. Um, I met Brett, you know, Haas here and his family, and we're like best buddies. We're inseparable. And, uh, you know, I met all you guys, you know, uh, from, from back east all over the country, and it's just a big, huge family, you know. So uh, the Highland Games thing is definitely uh, – it's, awesome, it's an awesome thing to participate in, but it's, it's a life changer. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And, uh, you know, I tell people all the time, I can probably only name two or three assholes I've ever met in Highland Games. <laughs> you know. That's true. You know, I can go to work and see that many. I mean, it's, <laughs> it, it's just different. It's, it's, it's really, you know, it's just a different family. And, and you said it. When you said family, that's really what it is. I mean, it's a big community of us. 
And uh, I think we really cling to each other because, you know, we are different. Right. It is a different sport. It is something that people don't do. And yeah. people never realize how hard it is until they grab that weight and actually try it. Or they try and pick the cable up. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's it's really it's crazy. That's right. Yep. Well, Kerry Overfelt, you may not be on ESPN every night, but you've been on Fork Talk, the Ocho, episode eight, <laughs> and uh, we absolutely do we this. Better. We absolutely do this thing because of the love we have of both the game and people like yourself that we stand on the shoulders of. Because um, you know the, the presence and the fun that you give to this obscure sport that we love so dearly and is much more prevalent than people realize. Um, is why we do it. So we couldn't thank you enough for being a part of Fork Talk. It's been an absolute honor having you on. Sure, true that. Truly appreciate it, guys. I'm really glad uh, you let me spout off. And uh, <laughs> I, I really love being on here tonight, and I really appreciate what you guys are doing, too. Awesome. Hey, man. Well, uh, we'll let you go. Get back to your uh, Get back to your life there. And um, again, like uh, like Haas said, he's got socks to wash. That's right. <laughs> I'm going to go online and find some uh, multicolored tie dye socks now, just to honor Kerry at my next game. <laughs> I, I tell you what, if we were just a little, if, if we were just a little bit bigger, Kerry could have a whole four, uh, a sock hose, you know, line of clothing. Yeah, so you could buy on Sport Kilt. <laughs> I need to work on that. That's what I got to get going with. That's a good idea. <laughs> That's a moneymaker, brother. All right. All right, Take Gary. care. Have a good one, brother. Thanks, guys. You have a great night. You Thank too. You. Here at Globo Gym, we understand that ugliness and fatness are genetic disorders, much like baldness or necrophilia. And it's only your fault if you don't hate yourself enough to do something about it. <sighs> and that's where we come in. Ha, 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 ha. Mares eat oats and does eat oats and little lambs eat ivy. A kid'll eat ivy too, wouldn't you? Big Daddy. Hoss. Next topic. Next topic. All right, we're officially going to respond to this Bobby Dodd situation. Oh, ho, ho, ho. Yeah, now, wait a minute. I know you get a little bit stressed out about this, and I just need you to try and compose yourself while I both read through the letter and our lawyer's rebuttal. Let me take my medication, then. i got to take my blood pressure pill. Okay. Uh, so first of all, Fork Talk Nation, I've got a letter here <sighs> that I'm going to read a few That's excerpts from. It's uh, May uh, 2013, and it is uh, to uh, the Fork Talk folks, referencing Fork Talk episode number two, timestamp 5808. You and I, quote, introduced the three-time fork to the Pacific Northwest. Bobby Dodd writes, sorry guys, but this is just incorrect. Since Sheaf is so important to you, I thought I would give you some of the history of Sheaf in the PNW, at least how I remember it. Yeah. Interesting point there. How I remember I, it. I, I assume Buskowitz uh, figured that out as yeah, well. Yeah, he wasn't too happy. The first set of written rules used in the PNW was by the WCSFEA, the Western Canadian Scottish Field Events Association. Wow. This was adapted <laughs> from the SGA rules, the Scottish Games Association. I do not know if there was additions or subtractions from those rules. The I got time a question. frame was the early mid-70s. Can I buy a vol? Yeah. Nazca came into being around 1976 and adopted those rules. He's included a little blue book, which was actually quite interesting that we're going to get copies of, um, that point back to the general referencing of the subject matter, reading that uh, item number 1J, pitchfork, 
three tine used for sheaf throw and toss. Hmm. So there's older record books showing that you use a three tine. Right. Interesting. Of course, proves our point that we're awesome. Uh, under the events description, it talks about the different pound bags and that the throw is made in any manner desired using a pitchfork with a five-foot nominal handle. Uh-huh. There's been some debate on this nominal thing, has, Jay, and yes. I know you looked it up and I looked it up as well. And the, the, the definition that the nominal refers to is about. Right. It, it's yep. in, in that particular, it's used, that word is used a variety of different ways, but in that particular context, it means approximately. It's a general rule, but not an actual rule. Exactly. Like you're yeah. not going to get, if you set a record with your long handle or short handle fork, it's not going to get as long as discounted it's a, because it's as long as know, around five too long or too short. Yeah, right. exactly. Um, However, if it's a two-tine fork, it should be thrown out of the <laughs> Right. Um, and so as sheaf has become more popular, the techniques have changed. Pendulum style to the spin was added. Talking mid-80s, the two-tines started showing up to the point that the three-tine rule was forgotten. As sheaf skills, heights increased. 80s couldn't build standards high enough. Uh, he mentions that one year, which we've talked about, mm-hmm. you and I, about the claw. In Enum Claw, they once placed the standards on oil barrels, and that wasn't even hard, uh, high enough. Um, so then they put them on a couple uh, truck beds, yep. pickup truck beds. That was Doug uh, McDonald from and, Canada. And then that's when the 20-pound came in on the scene so that they could lower the heights a bit and um, and so on and so forth. Best so love to the fork talk staff in his email. So he's trying to suck up while telling us that we well, are yeah. not accurate. He doesn't want to bite the hand that feeds. Best him. regards, uh, Bobby. And he's <coughs> included a photo, and there's a photo uh, from a paper with a picture of someone who looks like Bobby Dodd, but <coughs> it's, hard to, it's hard to tell. <coughs> Photoshop <coughs> doing a pushover technique uh, on a sheaf, and he's clearly using a three-tine fork. No, I got something to say about that. I thought you were going to I know, control but I yourself. can't stop myself. Okay. One of the things that came up recently when I was discussing this with another three-time genius yes. was that one of the reasons why they used a five-foot nominal length was for the pushover technique, which was a very common technique back in the day, I did not if cheat. you had like a super long fork... You'd have a little bit more of an advantage if someone with a shorter fork. Right, you couldn't get an eight-foot fork. <laughs> right, but I haven't seen anyone use a uh, pushover technique since yeah a long time ago. Right, right. Yep. So, yeah, well, I've seen novices do it because they just don't don't quite know yet. Well, uh, the first year I threw at Skagit, they were showing us how to throw a sheaf, and there was two ways to do it. You could do the 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 big uh, swing block pendulum, the pendulum, and then the block. Yep, the hard block, and then you could do the pushover technique. Yeah. So, um. Regina Wechter yep, she does, does a pushover, pushover. Yep. Um, but as far as people that I know, correct men, not so much. Correct. So just to make sure, so before we go anywhere, because we don't want to comment until our lawyers have responded, right? Yeah, so, uh, and it has taken us a while to make sure that they reviewed it, but I have a letter here to share with Bobby Dodd and Fork Talk Nation. Yes. So this is from the law office of Berkowitz Martinez. Buskowitz. De- De- what did I say? Berkowitz. Sorry. That's son of Sam. That's bizarre. Son of Sam's going to kill Sorry, you. Sorry. From the law firm of Buskowitz, Martinez, Dominguez, Rodriguez, and Wong. Right. Uh, Wong's a new partner. He is. As I understand it. Because they got rid of... Smith. Smith. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not aware of that. We'll discuss that further. Well, they got rid of Smith because they thought he was embezzling. Oh, really? And they hired Wong because he was good at math. Yeah. Okay. Probably racist. Um, June 20th, Maybe. 2013. Um, and I'll read this letter in its entirety. So, for the record, dear Mr. Bobby Dodd. 
I represent Mr. Brett Haas Lathrop and Mr. J. Big Daddy O'Neill, the hosts of the world-renowned podcast Fork Talk. Love the way he writes. Well, he's, he's very good at it. My clients forwarded to me your letter of May 2013 and the accompanying documents. I have reviewed your letter as well as the official athletic rules of the North American Scottish Games Association and the rules from the Western Canadian Scottish Field Events Association, as well as the accompanying photo of someone with your same <laughs> name using a three-time pitchfork in the Sheaf Toss event. As I understand it, your chief complaint with my clients is that you disagree with their assertion that they introduced the three-time pitchfork to heavy athletic competitions in the Pacific Northwest. You claim that your documents and accompanying photo prove that the three-time fork was used in the competition in the Pacific Northwest as far back as the 1970s, thus making my client's claim false. Mr. Dodd, anyone with a little bit of computer knowledge can use Photoshop to make a photo look old, and there's no actual date on the photo, just a handwritten caption of 1989. Furthermore, I have no way of independently verifying that your supporting documents are authentic and correct. However, Brett Haas Lathrop has assured me that you are a very honorable and truthful man, so I have to believe you are telling the truth. My clients have testified that when they both started competing in the Highland Games, Big Daddy in 1999 to 2000, and then again in 2000 to the present, and Haas in 2009 to the present, they did not see three-tine forks used in the sheaf toss competition, only two-tine forks. Yep. So, I must conclude that sometime between the 1980s and the mid-2000s, the three-tine fork disappeared from use in competition in the PNW. My clients are amending their claim to state, while some claim... That the three-time fork were originally used in competition in the PNW, we reintroduced it and have been very influential in its popularizing three-time works. Hmm. Yeah? Three-time yeah. forks. Right. I hope this will bring a close to this matter and we will be returning your original documents once I have made the necessary copies for my clients. Just between you and me, <coughs> the only fork I use is the one at the buffet. <laughs> May the fork be with you, Irving Buskowitz. Esquire. Esquire. So. Our man. Pretty much case closed. I'm thinking. I think that's a well-drafted uh, letter from our legal team. I do, too. To Bobby Dodd. Yeah, and I think that if uh, Mr. Dodd wants to uh, pursue this matter anymore, uh, he better watch out. I think they've found a nice middle ground yeah. to acknowledge what he was saying uh, without being able to verify it in, in any uh, manner that would be uh, okay in a court of law. Right. But we've acknowledged our supremacy in the reintroduction of the three-time to the Pacific Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, we didn't say that we invented the three-time fork. We just said that, hey, we brought it back in its glory. All of its, what is that? What the heck's that? Oh, no. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> he's, he's back. Oh, my God. What's that mist? Well, I know. It's, it's, uh, did you feel it? It's getting kind of cold in here. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Somebody open a window? Jeez. Oh, well, it's, uh, it's Donald Denny. There he is with all of his medals. Look at him. Hey, what are you boys doing? Well, hello, Donald. I, I, I'm so surprised to see you. I'm not quite so scared this time. I'm scouring near it still, looking for that little weasel, Francis Brebner. Have you seen him? No, I haven't seen him. Sorry. Oh, well, I've been looking for him. You tell him I'm going to find him. All right. All right. I will. Yes. I will. So, hey, I've been listening to your little toony box and listening to your little sheaf dealy. You boys didn't invent nothing. You didn't reintroduce nothing to nobody. I invented the sheaf. You did? Yes. Boy, I don't remember seeing that written anywhere. It's documented. 
Is it? Yes. How much have you read about the sheaf? How much have you read about my time throwing the sheaf? Well, quite a bit, yes. Really? Yeah. Really? So when did it start? Is that, so that in Scotland or did yes. you invent it here? I invented it in Scotland. Okay. I threw the sheaf so high in Scotland that they outlawed it. They did? Yes. Which is why it's not a popular sport anymore in Scotland? Yeah, they, believe it or not, they had to stop it because hmm. I was hitting planes. Wow. Yes. Interesting. I don't like that look on your face. Perhaps I should come over there and knock it right off your wee mug. You're welcome to. Just go right through me, your air. <laughs> You're dead to me. <laughs> What's up with you, fat boy? You talking to me? Yes, you. Yeah, you humongous, bald-headed, weird-looking face. What's up with your little arse? Well, I'm just sitting there uh, listening to you talk crap about the sheep. I don't really think you know much about what you're talking about. And uh, as far as all those medals, I mean, really, Tough I can words. go out and buy a bunch of medals. In fact, uh, I have. <laughs> I, I even bought two Super Bowl rings. So uh, what do you think of that, Mr. Dinny? Ah, oh, yeah, you're cute. You see this little medal right here? I got this one for standing on the back of a grizzly bear and throwing a sheaf shaped like a salmon up into the air. Really? Yes. How how high did you throw it? Let me put it this way. Do you remember the little accident with the space shuttle? Yes. It was no accident. It was my salmon sheaf. <laughs> but I thought you were dead by then. You did this as a ghost? I can do many things as a ghost. Wow. Including this. Ouch. Oh, yeah. Look, <laughs> I knocked you on your ass and you can't even think, can you? You big wussy. Well, so now Denny's claiming that he brought Sheaf three times. I invented uh, Sheaf, and I invented the three-time fork. I invented it before they even threw Sheaf. So you can stick it up your arse. And when I next time I see you, Brett Lathrop, I know who you are. I'm going to take you and your bald-headed, ugly friend over there and take you to school. Okay, Donald, thanks for stopping by, brother. Oh, you're more than welcome. I can't wait to never see you again. See you in hell. Man, that guy scares the shit out of me. Wow. Old Denny comes by. I, you never know when he's going to show up. What 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 sets him off? Certain things just trigger him. <laughs> I don't know what the hell his problem is. And he's always pissed. Oh, I know. Well, he's got he's got anger issues. I think that's why he's such a good thrower. Well, he's searching the world, you know, looking for uh, <laughs> Brebner, Brebner. You know? <laughs> well, there you go. That's uh, that's the end of that topic, Big Daddy. <laughs> On to the next thing, yeah? <laughs> Thank God. I'm going to go over there and um, change my underwear. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, prepare to witness the greatest happening in sport. Sudden death dodgeball. Pepper needs new shorts. Oh. And that's the show. Thanks for listening. Thanks for everybody. Thanks for the audience for listening to another episode of Fork Talk. I'd like to thank our special guest, Mr. Kerry Overfelt. Uh, very nice and humble uh, athlete there. Uh, world champion as well. Also want to thank our sponsor, Mattress Ranch, www.mattressranch.com. That's one word, mattressranch.com. And thanks for all the Facebook page likes. Now, sometimes when we record Big Daddy Fork Talk Nation, we have actually a couple days in between our topics and our, inter- busy. and our interviews and things. So we've had a few days in between our start and our finish. And we started with 238, and in just a couple days... 279, yeah, Big Daddy. Yeah. Huh? That's the kind of numbers you're liking to I'm see. I'm digging that. Now I'm a happy man. All right. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm thinking some of that might be Vargas. 
I hope so. Well, because we he's been very popular, maybe maybe he's helping us out a bit. True, true, true. Do you have something about the factual incorrectness to state there? By the way, yeah, I do actually. Uh, I made a, a mistake in the beginning of the show, like uh, like Haas said. You know, we we, we sometimes record on multiple days. Right. Uh, the Matt Thompson that does the Vargas comic strip is actually a different Matthew Thompson. Uh, both from Oklahoma, both really nice guys, but uh, it's not uh, it, the, the Matt, one that wasn't the one I threw, threw against in in, uh, in Enumclaw. In Enumclaw, and uh, he was kind enough to correct me, and uh, so was uh, the guy who did Vargas. So I apologize for the mix-up, but you know, uh, I'm only human. <laughs> well, we don't want another Bobby Dodd incident. God forbid. <laughs> yeah. Right. I'm gonna tell you about that. <laughs> Um, so next time it, it, we're finding Fork Talk Nation that, uh, during the throwing season, a little more challenging to get the podcast going because we're throwing on the weekends when we would record, right? And we got work during the week. Three out of four weekends. Yeah. And we've got a big stretch here coming. And so we're not sure exactly how we're going to get that done. So what likely is going to happen is we're in Alaska next week. That's right. In Alaska next week. So likely what's going to happen in the next few topics and, and shows is, um, some bloopers, some uh, stuff that I haven't re- re- released that we have recorded, um, and some highlight reel type stuff. I didn't realize we had that. So that'll be good. Yeah. We got to, all I mean, we're, get, we're getting close to our 10th episode. This yeah. was the Ocho. The Ocho. Yeah. Hey, the Fork Talk podcast comes out twice a month. Questions or comments, email us at info at fork-talk.com. Or on Facebook, you can find us at Fork Talk with Big Daddy and Haas. Until next time. May the fork be with you. Big Daddy, you are the sheaf to my fork. Slunchamor. And Captain Quint, take it away. Farewell and adieu to you fair Spanish ladies. Farewell and adieu to you ladies of Spain. For we've received orders for to sail back to Boston. And so never more shall we see you again. Thanks for listening to Fork Talk with your she-fork-wielding, lovable host, Big Daddy and Haas. Check out www.fork-talk.com for more episodes. We throw heavy stuff for fun, people. Caber up!